Consequence Podcast Network. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want to make love, then I do too. And I'll be right there behind you. Greetings, constant listeners. This is Radical Randall Colburn coming at you with a very special episode of the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast from Consequence of Sound. Uh, Instead of discussing an actual uh, honest-to-goodness book today, we're going to discuss a whole lot of books, namely all the books we've covered so far, which comprises all of Stephen King's output from the 1970s, those wild times. As you already know, if you've been following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the good things, we have a list of categories that we're using, um, basically a best and worst of various things that we like to cover, but also just broader categories. And today we're going to be discussing our picks for each of those categories. And then on our next Needful Tweets episode, we are going to be sharing your thoughts your submissions and um, just kind of see if you're in line with us. So be sure to tune in next week for that episode. Uh, But before we get started on this ranking, why don't we go around and introduce ourselves again? My name is Rad Randall Colburn and I'm a senior writer at Consequence of Sound and one of your loyal uh, co-hosts. To my left, we have... Uh, This is Mad Mackenzie Gerber. That's not as good as Rad Randall, but uh, it's still it's still a name, uh, and I am a contributor to Consequences Sound as well. Very cool. And then who's across from Mac? We've got Dashing Dan Caffrey Ooh. here. Yeah, I know that doesn't sound like a Ninja Turtle name, but I think it's pretty good. Um, and I am a senior writer with Consequences Sound. And then across from me, we got Maniac Mitch <laughs> Rothman. Mitch, so yeah. <laughs> Editor-in-chief of Consequence of Sound and a uh, huge fan of action figures. And uh, Dan, if you were an action figure, I think I would buy it. I, I think if Playmates made your own action figure, like a Ninja Turtles, you know, Ninja Turtles hero or villain, I would, uh, they would definitely be uh, right next to my pizza wagon, whatever it was that we, uh, the I would, pizza shooter, the thing that they used to have. Yeah, And the, yeah, I think my character would have uh, maybe a Three Musketeers hat and a, a rose between his teeth. <laughs> it's very dashing. I like that. I like um, that. When I was in fourth grade, uh, it was it was rained out. Our playground like was rained out, so we had to recess indoors. And we went into like the teacher's private cabinets. Uh, and I know that that makes it sound like there was something bad in there, but there was just more toys. And one of them was the Oscar Mayer Wii like little car oh, and we like had the best time playing with it oh, and then when she found out we were playing with it we got in big trouble and uh <laughs> was did you find out that like she it was like like her toy of her like you know son that died or something uh no like, but that actually oh, that explains a lot uh that was probably the case um so on that note uh let's get started with some of these categories and and just kind of start discussing um you know the best and worst of stephen king's 1970s output we have 19 categories. 19 categories. This is going to be intense. And uh, we're going to start uh, We're going to start with our least favorite, and we're going to work our ways up to our most favorite. And don't worry, fans. We all love Stephen King here. There's more good than bad here. But So we're going to start with um, 
with uh, maybe the biggest boy of them all, which is the worst novel of Stephen King from the 70s. I'm going to guess that... I, I know for a lot of these categories, we'll probably have different answers, but I'm going to guess we all have the same <laughs> answer for this. Just a crazy thought. Uh, kick I'm, us off, Randall. I'm going to kick us off um, because, frankly, I'm feeling full of... Rage. <laughs> Rage was a book that Stephen King wrote when he was very, very young, um, but then released uh, under the name Richard Bachman. Um, and it is a piece of uh, garbage. Uh, sorry, that's mean. It's not, it's, I don't want to be that mean. It's They're, pretty bad. It's bad. It's like really bad. But, um, and it's just weird to me that. Stephen King really stuck. He, I feel like he's always stuck by the quality of what he thinks is the quality of that novel. And the reason he's taken it off is more because of the response from, you know, obviously psychotic kids who are reading that and identifying a bit too much with Charlie Decker, which I think is, you know, genuinely a problem with the writing. <laughs> um, and so uh, that, that's my that's my brief thoughts. Uh, Mac, what do you got? You know, it's sad. I didn't get to read Rage. It's probably oh. the, only, it's the only one I haven't read, so I have to pick a, a worse novel out of the rest oh, of those. Oh, we've already got a, an, an upset in the voting. Wait, which what's is, yours in? Which, yeah, I, you couldn't really call it the worst. I guess it was just my, my least favorite of all of the, uh, the others. Um, God, this is hard. Yeah, because all, all the other ones are classics. I know. So. Uh, the stand I, that's Whoa. saying a lot i mean like that's crazy to be fair out of the ones that you know that aren't rage that does make sense i mean it's for you know that I, is actually I, your favorite though so well randall well um, no spoilers but uh <laughs> i'm i'm actually considering that i've often mm. said that the stand is my favorite of of this batch of novels but you know, there might be some surprises later on. Yeah. The, the yeah. stand is think, tough because there's so much good in it, um, and it's so long. I mean, there's page wise, there's more good in the stand. Than, you might uh, say there's uh, some evil the too. Yeah, just like Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> oh uh, wow! <laughs> no, but um, I mean, I I rated personally, I rated the stand higher than the than the long walk. But I think that makes sense because I don't think the stand is better than. Well, I would put it above the Shining personally. I don't know. Yeah, it was a tough call. I just made it in a lot about two minutes ago. Uh, <laughs> No, but the stand just has the most because it's so dense. There's just a lot of it that is you know negative that I don't like about it. Whereas the other books, I'm like quicker to forgive, like for The Shining and stuff like that. I just feel like overall, I really enjoyed those a lot more. I guess I don't know, and and yeah, I still love the stand. So it's it's kind of like, well, what what do you do? I got it. Basically, I need to read Rage. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there you go, listeners. Yeah. A, a positive bombshell so far. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dan? I mean, yeah, I'm, ra- I'm Rage. I, I, if uh, For my thoughts on Rage, you can go to the Rage episode and hear us trash um, Rage, Bob, yeah. I, And Rage is one of those books. What are you singing? Uh, like, I'm blue, but you said I'm Rage. Oh, I, I thought you were going to sing Rage Against the Machine song. <laughs> waka waka. Yeah. Bulls on Parade. <laughs> Rage is one of those novels, you know, that was one of the earliest ones we read. And I can't, you know, certain books you read and you maybe don't think super highly of them, but then the more you think about it, it settles in you and, and it really resonates with you. Uh, for Rage, that did not happen. It actually got worse for me in my mind as yeah. it went on. Um, and especially reading books like The Long Walk, where Stephen King writes teenage characters so much better than in Rage. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Aside from the thematic problems we all had with it, just the dialogue, the, all the kids' characters, they're just the worst parts, I think, of teenage stereotypes. It's and a, a fundamentally you know, flawed yeah. story and narrative yeah. and character. What about you, Mike? 
Uh, Rage is also my choice uh, uh, because uh, I, you know, it's a tedious read. Uh, there's a lot of problems with it, as you know, both of you have just already outlined. Outlined, but um, I, I think also is just that uh, it, it's it's not removed enough from reality to earn its premise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's still steeped in this like you know realistic situation, and as we know from you know tragically of all the stuff that's happened over the past you know few decades that's just not the case so it, it, from you know minute one it's it's really hard to actually buy anything that's going on so then when you have to mm-hmm. go through it for next you know another 150 pages it's it's just it's, it's very exhausting um having said that i think there are, it, it's still there are still a lot of layers to it that make it you know worth a read yeah. i think there's there, there are elements of this book that if you're especially if you're a stephen king completist i think there's you know parts of it that are worth to you know digest and read so mac you definitely should pick it up I, you sometime. know after that after those reviews i can't wait yeah right <laughs> i am ready <laughs> no. to read it uh it is more of a hate read i i don't it's it's weird because i've actually i feel like there are some other things that he's written that feel a little more cyclical and redundant um, like I actually, I personally actually had a hard time reading the long walk, um, just cause I felt that, you know, the multiple descriptions of the leg pains and everything else just got very like, all right, let's keep walking. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, even though I thought the book is great, I just, there, there, you know, a lot of redundancies and I didn't really, there was a lot of that in this, but there was still enough like jarring left turns that made, made it seem like a page turner. The yeah. problem is that those jarring left turns are so out of step and out of character and, first off, it's not really out of character because there's no real sensible characters in it. But yeah, I mean, if you couldn't tell from this review, this is a, this is a pretty miserable book. Uh, (laughs) And it definitely shows to Randall's point that he was young when he wrote it and this shouldn't have been his first Bachman book. I don't, I don't think it ever should have been anything. I don't think it should ever been released, but yeah. And it's just interesting because he, he, he said road work was his least favorite of the four Bachman books. And it's like, I don't know. I just, maybe he has just some youthful affection, like some youthful, uh, connection to that it's you know it's just uh, maybe it's, he loves Charlie Decker I do think it's important to read in terms of examining the artist's responsibility to their audience and how much action they should take when it comes to tragic events stemming from it um, yeah as a book no quality wise not great but I do think it's an important chapter in the Stephen King story you know to that point about the responsibility I, I think it also is an interesting time capsule to show just how like far beyond comprehension school shootings were. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think it was, it, it's such a, a wild idea. When you read this book, it, fe- it seems like almost like a Dr. Strangelove sort of such like mm-hmm. you know, commentary where it's just like larger than life situation. And, um, they're kind of welding some stories and some commentary, some tension, uh, to almost farcical effect. But I think it's because, at that time, it was so unbelievable to think that could happen. And I think that's also telling to show just how tr- even more tragic the events have become since then. Um, having said that, uh, if you are picking up a Stephen King book, uh, maybe save this one for dead last. <laughs> yeah, <definitely. laughs> yeah. On that note, let's move to our next category. Uh, worst short story. As you know, um, the only short story collection we reviewed um, up to this point is Night Shift, his very first uh, book that we really love. And we already did a ranking of our stories, um, but I don't think we all agreed on every worst one. Um, I'll start off, and um, I think the worst story in there is Sometimes They Come Back. Oh, looks like we agree on one. Oh, okay. Oh, it looks all like right. uh, we, we disagree. I disagree also. Oh, uh-huh. wow. We did, we, we did, I mean... 
we we played fair by the voting rules on that, and we unanimously voted it worst story collectively. But it's not my personal worst story. I like that you said we played fair. Like we we're going to juke the stats here. You know what? Yeah. I actually just forgot uh, another short story that was in that collection when I was doing this uh, telling up, and I, I have to change mine. But oh I'll wait, let's hear your thoughts. On well, I'll just uh, say sometimes they come back is a story for me. I think it's my least favorite, just because it feels. Uh, simultaneously, both too long and too short, and um, it's it's just a story that I think King had so many ideas for, and then he kept realizing that he want that I don't know that this maybe this needed to be a short story for whatever it had been commissioned, and I think it's sort of like ten pounds a story in a five pound bag, Agreed. and he's not ever to, he's not ever able to really flush out the most interesting parts, and he kind of indulges a bit too much in silliness, um, i.e. the you know the evil book of dark deeds or whatever it is that oh, he's God, reading the, the Necronomicon yeah this, <laughs> this 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 the satanic yeah, uh, ritual at the end it's all just a little silly and um and I and the way the book jumps around is stylish stylish in its own way or the story uh it's stylish in its own way but it's also kind of disorienting and it doesn't feel very kingian it 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 feels like the work of a lesser writer so uh mac what do you got you know um i i agree with you on those points but i still like that more than and it's dead heat between battleground and man you and this this battle it's like like, no 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 it's like small soldiers uh small small soldiers is great you know you get get kirsten dunst uh, you get the kid from you love it because kirsten dunst no i love it for phil hartman for joe dante joe dante Dante what kid from are you afraid of the dark he was the one of the uh, I can't remember which episode he was in, but uh, he was in an Are You Afraid of the Dark episode. <laughs> Ryan Gosling. <laughs> no, yeah, uh, yeah. It's, but it's 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 between for me. It's between Battleground and uh, Lawnmower Man. Oh yeah, see, Lawnmower Man's my choice at this point because I just totally forgot about that that story because I hate it so it's much. Ridiculous. <laughs> um, I just think I, I think there's actually a really good story in there. Honestly, for Lawnmower Man. Yeah, I I, I, I do, but I just think I think it's it's too short to really go into what he's trying to accomplish with it. And um, and battleground. I just don't like you know. I don't like kitty stuff. I don't like toys. You know. <laughs> yeah. that, that, that's 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 uh, that's my Randall impression. Uh, no, I just I just didn't like battleground. Um, I, you know I, you know what I did like though, and we'll talk about that later probably. But the adaptation to battleground with William Hurt, with William Hurt, I thought was actually really well done and gave me a better. Uh, hey, you know, we're uh, getting to adaptations later. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know, I know. All right, so uh, ultimately, battleground or. Uh, the old, the old lawnmower man. Well, I'll jump on the lawnmower man real quick. Yeah, uh, just to, to get there because I, I I think it's I, I don't think there's any way to save that story. I think it's just out there, bizarre, stupid. Um, <laughs> I think that he it, it almost kind of proves the criticisms about like King in a really wrong way because you know they always they, we always bring back that Family Guy episode like episode or the the parody that they did in the episode where they're talking about how oh it's Stephen King spooky this or spooky that yeah. and like that pretty much is the lawnmower man it's like he, he was like what appliance could I possibly p- weld a ghost or a spirit to oh a lawnmower and this crazy man that's eating things I mean there's a lot of weird disturbing imagery but it also just seems like like shock for shock and the mythology is just out there. Like I get it, it's like the whole pan god thing, but what I I don't know. That was more frustrating to read than than anything. And it's so bad, constant listeners, that I actually forgot about it and, <laughs> and almost chose sometimes they come back. Which, to be fair, had the lawnmower man didn't you know didn't exist, and King actually came to a sensible uh, you know agreement in his head, saying mm, I, should, I probably should probably uh, stow this away. 
that would have sometimes they would come back would have been my choice and for all the reasons that randall outlined um it's mismanaged it's 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 just a mess um but not as much of a mess as the weird fucking groundsman (laughs) and like eating the grass and his balls hanging out yeah there's something there that's messy yeah yeah i'm gonna i will always you know there is something there jeff fahey did it and uh, they turned it into a virtual reality we'll, we'll get there uh, Dan, I will always defend the lawnmower man. I think it is so weird that it works. I don't know. Think of if the lawnmower man had been done by David Lynch or something. I feel like it's very much in a lot of the imagery and themes he operates in with this sort of dark underbelly. I can see that. Yeah. You know? I mean, now, granted, David Lynch wouldn't maybe wouldn't do it like Stephen King, but I feel like so if someone like him did a an adaptation, it could be really good. Um, my least favorite story, and this was not the case when we ranked all these before is uh i know what you need that's what i chose because really here's my thing with that and i i know we we covered this already on the adaptation episode about how the ending is ultimately great with um you know what her choice is Mm -hmm. and how it really does capture the self-pitying neckbeard kind of guy and i i agree with all that but it's similar to sometimes i come back in that the supernatural elements really kill it for me and they feel so tacked on with the voodoo doll and um, the because what is it? It's a voodoo doll, but he's also kind of got psychic powers. Yeah, it's, it's a miss. It's a layered. And I still, I still think resolution. it could have been just. I think it would have been so much stronger if he was just a regular stalker. Um, that, I think that would have been scary for me. And yeah. s- since we've, um, since we've done the night shift episode. I, that and the ending with all the voodoo doll discovery stuff that just keeps sticking in my head in a really bad way of just of I don't know it just feels like King shitting the bed a little bit and I, I know maybe technically that should be worse ending and not um, not worse story but it really like sometimes it can back as a really bad ending but the rest of the story is not good enough for it to feel that disparate you know like the ending does ruin it but it doesn't seem so far removed with this one yeah. the rest of the story is so good it just feels so out of left field and it really just yeah looks no I'd, I'd, I'd buy i'd buy i mean I, I think that the difference between sometimes and uh was it what was they called you know what was the name you know my name <laughs> i know what you need uh, i know what you name uh or i know what you need um i think the difference is there is that like where like with sometimes they come back it feels like they're just missing a scene you know, like there's exactly. just like a, like maybe he just forgot to put two pages in. Whereas with, you know, um, with, uh, I know what you need. It's, uh, for, sorry, I keep thinking of that Chris Cornell song for Casino Royale. It's like, you know, my name, like, <laughs> um, I don't know why, um, RIP Chris, Chris Cornell. But, um, I, uh, the, the thing with that is, yeah, you're right. It, it doesn't, it's totally unwarranted. Like you don't need it. It's, it's not warranted whatsoever. It was already creepy enough with just him, you know, being this like, great stalker um but still i, I don't know i there, there's something that I, I still think there's like 85 percent of it is there whereas like it doesn't feel so mismanaged but you know hey what can i say i like the lawnmower man better than i know what you need hey, <laughs> um well i guess that's our call for worst stories well which but. which i mean which one's out then i guess there's there's two oh, lawnmower man oh are we one. settling on we're just gonna settle on like final verdicts then so i yeah. think we do yeah. yeah okay yeah so um, we've already had like worst novel was rage yeah. yeah i'm gonna keep tally so worst novel definitely rage and then um and then this one so we've got one for i know what you need do we we had two for long? No, Mac went went with Battleground, right? No, I, no, I you, said Battleground or Lawnmower Man, but uh, I'm not Lawnmower Man. I think it has to go to Lawnmower Man because you were deliberating between the two, and that yeah. wasn't even close yeah. for me. In it. Um, and I said sometimes they come back. So I think it's Lawnmower Man. Unfortunately, it's a bad day to be Dan Caffrey. No. Uh, <laughs> I think that I think the that re- calls for a resurrection of uh, hashtag Green Pubes. Yeah, uh, please, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. please share, please share. That was really bad. 
I have different games. I even have one that could help make you smarter. So then uh, let's talk about adaptations. As you know, we always discuss the film, uh, comic book, whatever adaptations that have been made of these various novels. Um, and th- not all of them are great. <laughs> so why don't we go around and say what we believe the worst adaptation to be? I will start. Uh, I am the only one who watched this adaptation, uh, <laughs> but it is the 1996 uh, adaptation of Trucks, not Maximum Overdrive. <laughs> The actual movie truck starring uh, Hollywood treasure <laughs> Timothy Busfield, uh, oh, who unfortunately first kid villain, yeah, who unfortunately could not save this train wreck TV movie uh, that is so 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 bad and boring. Mac, I love Danny Kincannon, so it's uh, it's hard it's hard to hear that. But uh, <laughs> my 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 least favorite, um, the worst adaptation, The Mangler. Yeah, it is just. God awful. It's just, I mean, it's a great watch. Um, definitely go see it. Um, I think it's in theaters for another couple of weeks. Um, but <laughs> it is, I mean, it is abysmal. And uh, Robert England's performance is just waiting to, to go down in history as one of the worst. Uh, I, I mean, it is so fun to watch, though. Um, but it's it's an awful adaptation. Yeah, I, I agree. I'm, Mangler is my choice also. Well, I mean, we, we watched it together, Mac, yeah, and it, it was... It was hard to get through it. I mean, what about if, Return to Salem? Well, that, that doesn't... I, well, that's I wouldn't not really... You know, oh, I was going right. to say that, but yeah. it's not really yeah, anything. Yeah, any sequels don't count. <laughs> because yeah. that, that is just an awful, yeah. awful, awful movie. Do never Just never watch... Never Return to Salem's Lot. Um, <laughs> constant listeners, it's just an abysmal movie. Unless it's One for the Road. Unless it's One oh. for the Road. Yeah, that's true. Um, but um, no, The Mangler is just... is so dry and boring, and it's... It, it, you Like, about 20 minutes in, you realize... Oh yeah, they really shouldn't have made a movie out of this. And <laughs> even if you go all the way in with the mythology and all the the craziness of a machine coming to life, um, a press, by the way, not not just some cool machine that could move around like a Pixar okay. thing. It's like the most far fetched, unbelievable idea. I, I don't know. And personally, I think it's the worst adaptation because I actually do like the story for the most part, um, except you know, obviously. Yeah. King's, you know, King's issue in Night Shift is all the black magic stuff. Yeah. But I do really, um, I do really like the Mangler short story. And I, I think that's another reason why I just didn't like the adaptation. It just goes off the rails. And literally because the, uh, well, in the uh, book, you know, in the, book right. the machine no, no. does go off the rails. And it goes off <laughs> stalking them in suburbia. It goes off the rails in the adaptation as well. And, um, I think if Michael Bay did it, uh, he could have, you know, done something with, oh, yeah? uh, with no, the Mangler machine coming around. I'm joking. I'm sure. And it would have like been around to like help Harriet Tubman. Uh, having, having oh. just seen trans and Randall and I just saw Transformers <laughs> age of extinction, which we knew was going to be I thought bad. it was the last night. Oh yeah. Sorry. God, it's all blurring my head now. The last <laughs> night. And, uh, which, I knew it was going to be horrible, but exceeded my expectations for how horrible it was. I would not put it past Michael Bay to do. I mean, he's got a fucking soda machine transformer yeah. in the first one, so I, I wouldn't put it past him to go. Yeah, we really wanted to bring some horror into this, so uh, you know, we uh, we we brought the machine from the Mangler, and I gave it some tits because that's what I do. Yeah, <laughs> like Michael Bay. Hi. Mine is uh, I so I haven't seen the Mangler. I, it sounds like maybe I would have picked it, but it also sounds like it's maybe a little bit more of an enjoyable watch. Than the film I'm gonna uh, say, which is the original Children of the Corn, the first one. Oh yeah, because how boring it is! It it's is, yeah, and it sounds like yeah. the Mangler's boring, but there's enough kind of just weirdness to be, I don't know, a fun thing to make fun of with your friends. Children of the Corn just 
That or the opening scene is kind of okay, where the kids kill the adults, but after that, it is just a slog, and it it doesn't fall into so campy. It's it's like so bad, it's good. Right. It is just it's deadening to sit through. Um, As for, opposed to the uh, what was the Sci-Fi Channel? Did, wait, I like the Sci-Fi one better than because the, <laughs> well, the Sci-Fi one at least is like ultra violent, so that's yeah. good. And they have like all that weird sex, the stuff, weird sex with, stuff, and the kid going scarecrow. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> then, um, so yeah, I definitely did the the original children, children of the corn, and I, also it spawned all those shitty sequels too. So yeah, there you I go. Can, I can't remember where, but I, I feel like recently over the last couple of weeks when Stephen King was brought up, someone said Stephen like Children of the Corn was their favorite or scariest Stephen King. You know what's weird? So I was just in New Jersey and I was uh, hanging out with my cousin Carson, uh, who's like nineteen, and then he had a bunch of uh, there were a bunch of kids at this party that were younger. It was just this big family party. And they all were talking about how they watch horror movies all the time. And they all spoke, like, really highly of Children of the Corn. So I wonder if it's kind of a thing that's becoming cool for younger... Not cool, but um, you know how when we were younger, we would there were certain one, uh, horror movies you would rent from the video store and they yeah. would almost be... You don't you don't hear about it on the playground and everything. Yeah, I feel oh, like yeah. I feel like maybe it is like that, and I feel like it does. Ha- you know, it has the creepy kid thing, which isn't that creepy to me. I, but. I don't even think they're watching it. I think the hook is overwhelming the actual movie. Yeah, I like right. I think people think, uh, oh god, these creepy kids in the corn. That is scary. Yeah, like they don't really remember. Like actually. The movie being so fucking dull and boring. Yeah, um, I mean it ends the worst oh, way. Oh, that too. ending is awful. And I, uh, <laughs> but I, I, uh, I made right by them, and I actually showed them The Shining afterward. Oh, nice. oh yeah, yeah. I cut my put them in their place, huh? Yeah, my cut. Well, it was just two of the kids because the other kids I don't know. And they're well, not I like it, so, just and Dan and all these teenagers, <laughs> and he's just like, "Hey boys, let me show you a movie." <laughs> yeah, he pops, <laughs> he, like, he, he pops in the miniseries of The Shining. Yeah, right. <laughs> he like, and that was actually one of the other choices I was thinking of too. Because yeah, you want to talk about neutering one of King's stories. Yeah, it's but making it a literal adaptation, but and adding on a hallmark ending that's pretty bad yeah but there, i feel there there are moments that work in that yeah and there are no moments that work in the mangler no i agree i one, agree real real quick real sign up for one so no, i just to be to be clear these kids weren't my family members they're just kids at a party once they all left <laughs> I, my cousin carson and my soon-to-be cousin liam uh he's uh because my uncle's marrying his mom um they so they they watched the shining they were like oh we watched the shining i was like great and you know i, I always wonder when showing people who aren't our, our age a movie like the shining where it's kind of slow and very much not the type of horror movie that we like nowadays I always wonder how they're going to react, and they both loved it. Nice. We actually didn't get to get uh, get through the whole thing, unfortunately, because uh, just you know it's long. But um, they loved it. They were and <laughs> this uh, not Carson, the younger kid, Liam. Though he did it was this is pretty funny. Early on, he he was like very creeped out by Shelley Duvall, not because she yeah. just, just like which she's not supposed to be scary in the movie. He just kept going, "Oh man, she gives me the creep." She is, like, <laughs> she is creepy though. Like, yeah, it is. Yeah, her reactions yeah. to the stuff that's going on in the hallways towards the end. Oh, I love are it. Legitimately frightening yeah, yeah. but it, but it, it gave me hope for the youth i was like yeah it's good because the shining's kind of slow too it's not yeah. it's not a fast it's not saw or something but they both really dug it so i like the cool. image of uh these kids being on like a playground or something and you walk up <laughs> and you're wearing like the, the right thing like a black shirt and like some jeans like a and you got a chain you're twirling you're like oh hey kids you think you're you think you've seen something scary i'll tell you something scary uh, that, you don't tell me i tell you yeah i tell you it's like creep show three dan's the new narrator <laughs> yeah right all of a sudden he like pulls his face off and it's the skeleton like but no it was was good and uh, my cousin Carson a few years ago he wanted to watch Halloween I introduced him to that and he really liked Halloween oh that's nice nice. shout out to Carson for having good horror movie taste does he listen to the pod 
I don't know if he does. Probably not. Um, uh, I know my, my brother-in-law, uh, Mike Valletta. Hi, Mike. Uh, he listens to it on, um, he has this app that speeds it up to like three times the speed. So <laughs> I think <laughs> I sent, <laughs> I sent <laughs> to you guys. It was like, hi, one console. Yeah. Because he, he works, a, um, he works long shifts at a hospital. So he likes to listen to a lot of podcasts, but I don't. And he says he, if he listens to a, a normal speed, it sounds weird to him now because he's, weird. yeah, it's, it's, it's very funny. I don't know how he knows what's going on, but yeah, he's a, he's a constant listener. So, um, uh, let's move on to our worst lead. This is a tough one because King typically writes pretty likable, cool protagonists. Unfortunately, there's one protagonist from these books <laughs> that uh, is literally one of the most insufferable characters I've ever read in my life. And he goes by the name of Charlie Decker in a book called Rage. Yeah. Charlie is a know-it-all, smug, um, self-righteous, homicidal, piece-of-shit teenager <laughs> who the book totally, I'd say 80% of the time, identifies as the one who is right in all of these situations he what's that phrase from uh the ledge uh, he was a dyed in the wool son of a bitch <laughs> but he's but charlie's not even a son of a bitch yeah he's no, just a little twerp he's just a twerp who like who spouts all this teenage philosophical bullshit and then everybody loves him for it and is like yes you're so right you shot our teacher in the head and it's okay <laughs> um mac what do you got I, oh, man, I, can't I have to abstain. Yeah, I I have to abstain. I, I don't know. No, you come on. Yeah, but no, this something. is this would be funny because you had to pick someone who's really good, like a great character. Obviously, you could pick Stu or something from the stand. I mean, he's technically the protagonist, but he's, oh, he's, he's just, like leading yeah. him on. You can't hey, lead him on. Uh, you can't. You can't lead him on. No, I, I would. I mean. <laughs> uh. Let's go back. Let's yeah, yeah, come back to me. Yeah. I'm All right. Uh, yeah, Charlie Decker. I mean, I, I don't, and C Dex. We know why. I like, ja- I, I like Jack Decker. I don't like Charlie Decker. <laughs> Jack Decker. <laughs> I uh, wonder if they're brothers. You know, I, I had Charlie De- Decker at first, and I thought, you know, it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's a right choice. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a total valid choice. But here's the thing. Charlie Decker is still, to me, far more interesting and nuanced, even if he's irregularly nuanced and crazy crazily problematic and all these other things that you can kind of throw these sort of criticisms at, I still find him more compelling than Ben Mears. I think oh, Ben, I, I think, ben I think Ben Mears is a vanilla protagonist. I has no problems and yeah. conflicts and literally even like when he has his new love with, uh, was it Susan? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even that feels like it's so after the fact, like, or matter of factly, like, like, Oh, well, I guess she died. Okay. Like there's just no, like I just thought he was the most uninteresting part of Salem's Lot for uh, me. Jumping on that train, looking at these books, honestly, I would say Ben Mears only out of the fact that I can't, you know, like uh, I, I, the stand, even though I, I, you just can't, I, just, I can't, it has to yeah. be Ben Mears because I love all the stand leads for the most part. Yeah. I, I mean, it, when it gets to the characters, I don't really like it. They're not, I couldn't consider them leads. So and yeah, I agree. I think Ben Mears is, is a little um, light on the the you know. There's no character no. there. Right. There's no but in depth he, character. I feel a, the, um, things come too easy to him, yeah. and there there's just not a lot of dynamic going on. But there. even grief comes easily for him. Like you never really he never really has to struggle with anything that's happening. But I, I like a guy. I don't know. I do like a protagonist, and I, for me, he's like a warm up to Johnny Smith because Johnny Smith has that similar everyman quality, but yeah. it's a lot more realistic and interesting. But I, I don't know. I like seeing Ben Mears being this guy who internalizes what's happening to him, moves on, and 
get it keeps the mission in mind. I don't know. Keeps I, I love the mission. Yeah, in I, mind. I, I, I sound like I sound like a fucking <laughs> asshole. But no, I, he he. I, I mean, uh, Salem's Lot for a while was my favorite book. Uh, oh, I love Salem. Yeah. I love the book. That's the thing. But I, I think he serves as a as a good, I guess, kind of conduit to everyone else in the town. Sure. I, I think you need that every man. But hey, Ben, I did not. I did not think we would have a tie between Ben Mears and Charlie Decker. <laughs> there you it's go. Pretty, that, who, who do we? Well, what do we do then? I, I think we just that? leave it. I think we got to just, right, just like just like Ben Mears with all his. I think problems. we got to let the viewers uh, or the listeners. Oh, we decide. should. We actually should post a poll. That's yeah. so, that, that's so funny. Like, who do you hate more? I mean, I think. I mean, Charlie, I it's think obvious. Obviously, Charlie Decker is going to win out. If I had to, you know, edge to one, it would be definitely Charlie Decker. But I just think when you're talking about an actual legitimate good book and something that actually poisons it, it's, you know, Ben Mir is like for me. It's just like kind of like, uh, give me something. Just it's something like you, you don't have like a smoking problem or an, an alcohol addiction or he something. He smokes. Yeah, you but know, he's not like. But he doesn't have a smoking problem. You know, no. He could have been like a Korean vet- veteran or something like that. Like just <laughs> something like, you know. If, if we open this up to the short stories, I'd say all, all the kids in Night Surf are real awful. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. but they're like interesting. But they're right? fun. I know, they're I know. fun kids. I'd hang out with them. I know. Uh, what? Uh, kidding me speaking of villains uh, those Night Surf little bastards (laughs) who are the worst villains in Stephen King Um, I've got a few thoughts here one of them I have two one of them, I have the Mangler. That's right. That's what I I just wrote the Mangler. That's that's my. I just think it's yeah. so it's so Ooh. silly because it's a villain, but it's literally. I mean, until the end of the story, when it does release itself uh, from its binds, it's just like. Just don't go near it, and yeah. it won't hurt you. Yeah, that we get two votes for the mangler, ladies and, and gentlemen. Uh, yeah. But then I, I and I think uh, an honorary, an honorary mention um, goes to uh, the kid from the stand. Uh, he's not a main villain, but he is. Uh, he is a villain, most definitely. But he's just a little silly. Well, should we also, uh, if Allison were here, I feel like she would say Julie Lowry, probably. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She I mean, she's not. She's a minor her. character, I guess. But yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, I, so that's my happy. Crappy, yeah. happy, crappy. Ooh. I tell you, uh, I tell you. Well, it's funny um, because the cabbie in Firestarter says the kid line, the, the line he the, does. The, yeah. he, sa- he says, "You don't tell me, I tell you." Yeah, yeah. which is yeah. kind of yeah. interesting. Ma- Mangler's mine, but so yeah. uh, what about you guys? Uh, I'm I'm gonna go with uh, the 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 little the little kid toys in the battleground. <laughs> battleground. You son of a bitch! I just I just don't care. You know, I, I mean, there's a little couple uh, some army men. What are we? You know, like. I just, I mean, maybe I'm just jaded for after seeing Toy Story. I just can't get that out of my head. It's just not scary. It's just silly and dumb. You are lucky that your birthday passed because I would send you a box of uh, little toys that, that just to creep you out. <laughs> oh, God. If you like, send, send me a box of, of green army men, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd probably love that. Yeah, Joe Footlocker, right? Yeah. See, the thing with, the thing with, Battleground scared me because I, like one of my creepiest things growing up was just like things the toys or stuff coming to life because I'm surrounded by them I'm just always this, surrounded by but them but the problem is if this if these were dolls that would be creepy like the like in um, Tales from the but Crypt but it's not or no not Tales from the Crypt Tales from the Hood when those, oh yeah when the, when the um, characters in the painting come to life oh my god I, I, I have to disagree with you on Mangler I didn't I, I kept my I kept quiet it is not the Mangler's fault <laughs> it was it turned into that via black magic the, the, the correct ingredients just happened to fall into the mangler <laughs> like that's its name yeah blood <laughs> of a verge oh we have the, the mangler 2000 uh it's, <laughs> what is it oh it's just a it's a clothing press <laughs> it, it, the, the the thing i love so much about how the mangler comes about is 
the stretch, like the stretches that are the leaps that King has to go to to make it come to life. Like somebody's blood, the virgin's blood fell in, but then there's also someone's medication medication. that happened to have a ingredient from a a Wiccan. Like just say it's fucking evil. Like who cares? We don't. I I honestly always thought that it would be just way better if just for some reason this thing was just inherently haunted. We don't know why. We don't I know think why there's a great. I think there's a great story in there. If they just cut out all that garbage, hey, there is a great story in the Mangler about that that oh, refrigerator. Oh, the refrigerator that that, that, that is, is the, absolutely terrifying. That's the most scary. Yeah. That's the scariest part of the whole story. Yeah. Um, so I, I disagree uh, on the 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 little kitty toys. Well, <laughs> it would appear that uh, um, the Mangler is going to win this one out. But I have a left field one, and we're going back to Rage. I think Ted Jones is a very unwarranted villain. Yeah, uh, I agree. And with granted, that. again, From rage. We're gonna really oh. beat the you know dead horse with this, but um, <laughs> it's granted. There's a lot of problems with rage and the, the tons of inconsistencies galore. But I, the thing with Ted is that like you're supposed to hate this guy, but I found out like I found him more of the protagonist because I was just like, no, this guy is the only one that wants to do something right. And like, so you're trying to position that, which I think King is. I don't think King's kind of trying to make some any sort of commentary. No, he's not being su- he's not being subversive. At no. all. It's just a misguided. It's a misguided hero and a misguided villain. So I, I just I found myself actually really depressed about Ted at the end because he actually has a really tragic backstory, and for him to be positioned as the villain, it just was. I was I was rage filled. Uh, I had rage <laughs> about it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, so that pissed me off, and uh, you know, Ted Jones, you're out there. Uh, I'm on your team. And now uh, to end our section of worsts, uh, we're going to talk about the worst ending in a Stephen King book. And we all know that Stephen King has never been. Endings aren't really his strong suit, but at the same time, I'd say that um, these books mostly I don't think are they don't I don't think there's any egregious endings um, in the novels, at least. But uh, the one ending that stands out to me as my least favorite is the long walk, actually, Mm -hmm. because I feel like there's a although while I like the last couple paragraphs and the stuff about the major and the stuff about starting to run. And I mean, it's all very good, but. It's mainly the the lead up, the couple pages that lead up to it, and the fact that McVries and Stebbins both just kind of die. Mm-hmm. And there's really no goodbye. There's no strong reason for what it was that broke them. Um, Garrity just kind of wins. And I don't know. I, I've, I've always felt a little unsatisfied by that ending. So, uh, Yeah, I love The Long Walk. Um, so that's not mine. But <laughs> uh, uh, for me, it's The Shining. I do not like... The happy, and you know, Doc and and Danny on the dock. You know, I just, <laughs> it's just not. That's not the one from the miniseries where it's like the, the graduation. The ending. No, is, no, no, no. This is like the Jurassic Park. It's them ending, like where they're you know, like, they're okay. They're at a resort. And they're right? at a resort yeah. like in yeah. Florida or something, and I, I just it just kill it kills it for me. Like the the whole book is just so like haunting and just so like dreary. And maybe you you could say that merits like a happy ending, but. It's just it. It kind of was forgettable for me, and it and it made me long for like the um, the, the the film ending. Sorry, Stephen. Um, <laughs> right, sorry, are we just doing novels or short or short stories? No, we can do short Anything. stories. Yeah. I, I uh, we've already mentioned it. Sometimes they come back. I think yeah. is, is uh, it's just. Mm. 
You know, yeah, uh, what were you mm, about? I no, I, I, I just, I was remembering, uh, you know, I always think of the film, but the, yeah, the book with uh, the, the demon that comes up. But I, I kind of liked, I kind of like, even though I didn't like how it happened, yeah. I still like the demon. I mean, I don't up. know. Part of me, are you doing a novel or a short story, Mike? For, uh, I want to be doing a novel. I, you know, I'm going to switch to a novel then because I don't want to, because I also feel like it's, it's maybe a little bit of a, I, I don't know. Like that's such a minor thing for sometimes they come back. Do, do you think in, uh, sometimes they come back when the demon's like standing there? Uh, do you think he's like wearing cool shades? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I just, I just I think got of, you. I think of Death Note, but wearing gla- sunglasses. Nice. You know what? I might have to go. It's funny because it, it, you know, obviously it's tempting to go for rage, but rage as an ending doesn't bother me. Like no. as far as what happens, um, I think I'm have to agree with Mac though with The Shining. I I'm just thinking about where Dr. Sleep ends up going, which I don't love as a book, but I almost feel like if we just saw them running away from the hotel and we don't really know the future, then that sets up Dr. Sleep a little bit better. Mm-hmm. But it, do, it does, it, it, the way it is, um, you know, on the page, it does give this kind of false sense of comfort a little bit, with, which for a book that deals really well with alcoholism and addiction, how that tears apart a family, I don't, I don't know if just seeing them being happy-go-lucky. I mean, I guess you want to see them get a break because they've been put through hell. But I agree with you. It does feel totally inconsistent. I'm going to say The Shining also. Switch it right. switch up. Yeah. You know, I, I actually had rage down uh, for my ending uh, because it's just it feels so... Um, you have this like built up this entire time and, and again you know what fuck it I'm not going through rage again we, 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 we've, we've, we've trashed this book so much yeah. I, I'm skipping on that one you know the, the long walk did bother me the ending yeah. uh, because I don't really the, the problem with King it's, it's also what I had with um, oh god what, what's the name of the short story in um, Night Shift that deals with the, the mother oh um, uh, the woman in the room the woman in the room the, it's the problem I have with King when he starts you know hinting things it's almost like a, he, he uses the Chekhov's gun thing so much that when he does kind of hint towards anything anything remotely superstitious or dark or malevolent you have to assume that that's what it is because it's Stephen King and the majority of his works do deal in those elements so when he randomly puts this dark figure at the end in a long walk for me it felt like, wait, what the, wait, why is that here? Like, yeah. why is that, why is that there? Like, I get that it's supposed to be, you know, in, in hindsight, it's, it's very like significant and, and has uh, emblematic of like, it's very em- emblematic of like PTSD and all this other stuff, but you already earned that with his reactions already. Like you didn't need to throw in this sort of like mysterious figure. Having said that, I don't know. Now I'm torn because like the shining also, like I, I love that it could have been this like vague Hemingway ending where they just kind of drive off similar to the, the way the Kubrick does. So I'm kind of split on those two. Um, we had the tiebreaker, Mike. So, uh, yeah, well, I think also with the long walk, you have to think we're, we're looking back on it, but like if we had just read that, having read King up to that point and it's a, it was a Bachman book. So mm-hmm. not even taking that into account. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. Are you thinking supernatural when the whole thing is absolutely not supernatural? You know what I mean? Are we just going there because now we've been tainted by you know reading all these other Stephen King no, that's, that's, Stephen that's, King stories? That's a totally good point. Although the comments for us when we posted the episode, people were also talking about the weird mysterious figure too, which is like, and which I think oh, it's well, because I'm just it's wrong. Then no, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think I think that's that's fair to point out though because it is under the Bachman name, and it's so easy to forget that now because it's all under you know King at this point. 
I don't, I don't know. I, I guess I would go with maybe The Shining, just because The Shining, the the here's the thing, like the long walk, the build up, and everything, it really works. And I think that where everything falls into place, where I agree, like mm-hmm. I do think that we needed more with Ste- especially Stebbins yeah. because they built up this whole thing, and then to have him die just so fast after McFreeze just doesn't but, seem right. But my and my but, whole thing with that book, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, no, no, you, no, but fine. my whole thing with that because I wasn't here for the long walk, uh, yeah. Episode. To do anything big or or exciting for those characters defeats the purpose of the whole. No, I book get yeah because these that's it's 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 senseless. They just they they fall behind. They get shot in the head. You know what I mean? So like yeah. to do any kind of big to do about those characters, even though we spent all this time, I, I thought it was almost more effective for me because I was like, God, like it doesn't matter how well developed we these characters are or, or or the importance we've placed on them. They're just another walker. Yeah, you know. I mean, I I, could, I definitely see that point. Um, I'm just I trying to get you. To, I'm just trying to get you to agree with me. So the shining wins. I, I because I, at, the, at, the, at some point you do you do say like, well, it is kind of weird that uh, you know that they they don't say it. like there's so much build up or tension between um, Garrity and Stebbins that they don't have like just not to have one little thing, just one more little thing between them. Still. The Jurassic Park ending of The Shining is ridiculous. Like, it really is ridiculous. So what do you like, choose? I think I get it with The Shining. All right. Uh, the Shining wins. The Shining. Um, um, even though I, that's, I think I gave that a four and a half noser. So, you know. Interesting. Seems a little contradictory. Well, hey, maybe with a better ending, it would be a five noser. It, actually, yeah, you know yeah. what? You're right. It would be. Oh, here's a question. Uh, we're probably going to put this out on Facebook, too, to some degree. But uh, we're, we're debating what we should call these awards because we're going to do them for, you know, other decades and everything. And we're torn between the kingies <laughs> or the nosies. And the Kingies is more of a broad, but the Nosies is more signature to the Losers Club podcast because, as you know, we I rate think it, things I think on, it's more on brand. Than it is more on brand because <laughs> we do rate things on uh, Bright Red Pennywise Clown Noses. So um, I, I, I kind of like the idea of I'm imagining a commercial yeah. for this award show. And if they just like, you know, the 20th annual, 20th annual, the 20th annual Kingies. Kingies. Like, you know, all I picture, all I picture is like an Oscar, but it's just, it's like a, go, it's a golden nose. <laughs> a, a golden, a, red, a golden red nose. So it's like, wait, wait. what? <laughs> um, so yeah, something to, something to chew on and leave on our social media and just let us know what you think. Um, so let's move on. Uh, we're going to start talking. Uh, well, I guess before we talk, though, I hope you're all hungry because uh, it's time to serve up a little dish of pound cake. We're all going to talk about the tastiest serving of pound cake. (laughs) It's hard for me. I'll start. It's hard for me to choose a single one. So I think I'm just going to do a huge swath of just uh, the fact. I think the thing that stands out the most to me in terms of pound cake is how in almost every one of these books and stories, if a woman is on the page, we must know about her breasts. Yeah. And it's just the general breast talk. I think um, King must describe them all in rage, especially <laughs> uh, every woman's breasts are described and they're either massive or they're nubs. And the use of nubs is a phrase that I cannot get Past. Yeah. It is just too and he, damn he's much been using it for decades. He's at this still point. using it. Yeah. He's yeah. still using nubs. Uh, Mac, what do you? Uh, got? I don't want to get too too far into the future, but uh, there, there is a there is a mention of that in in Firestarter. So mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, it still continues. Uh, no, my favorite is any time seed spillage. Yeah, any time he mentions, and I will say. Yeah. The two instances for me that are the best is probably uh, Jack and, and Wendy That's in mine. The Shining, and then also uh, Lloyd, um, Lloyd Lloyd Henry. Oh, Wait, when he jerks off in jail? 
no, 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 with, no, uh, with Dana. With Dana. Oh, yeah. Did, did they yeah. mention his seed in that? Yeah. They, yeah. Oh, yeah. Seed. They go into oh, it. Oh man. Well, it's not just um, dried, but but seed. but my my favorite is is the is the shining. One. That's yeah. my choice too. Oh, uh, what Mike? Actually, I, I actually have the excerpt. Oh, do you have it? Oh, oh great. Yeah. yeah, let's hear this. Uh, it's on a page five of the. Is that the Anchor Books edition? I believe it is. Page five. Uh, oh, no, no, no. It's not page five. It's on uh, page four ninety three. Uh, no, no. That's the scariest one. Sorry. It's on page seventy nine of the Anchor Books edition. Ah, sixty nine. Uh, and. Uh, King writes, uh, but in sleep, she did believe them. And in sleep, with her husband's seed still drying on her thighs. Uh, and, I, and Do we need to know that? <laughs> an even grosser term for that, I remember, is in The Stand. They talk about Harold. It's actually a really good section of the book. They talk about Harold growing up and him being um, having these depraved sexual fantasies and, and feeling ashamed of them. They talk about how he would you know jerk off to fall asleep and... He would do it all over his stomach. And I remember the phrase he uses, it said, uh, he, it's, I think it's either drying to a scale or scaling on his stomach. Like, it's getting crusty, like, reptile scales or something. <laughs> that is fucking disgusting. I, uh, I mean, that's that's not my... It's funny with Pound Cake because I think in later books, there are probably entire scenes. Like, in It, I know there are... There, that would be like, oh, this whole scene is a Pound Cake. Yeah. What sticks out to me in these early books are just these, like, these little phrases. Offhand yeah. comments. And, um, yeah, Jahubi. Just a yeah. little taste. Just a little taste. They, 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 uh, a forkful. This this one isn't um, <laughs> even sex-related, but I mentioned it on the, on the stand episode where Doc Soames says, oh, would you look at it? Uh, he, when Sheriff John Baker takes off his shirt, he says, oh, would you look at the tits on him? Even an old shit like me could get horny looking at that. That's just like, really funny. <laughs> That's really funny to me. But um, I... Uh, I hear it. I have the the little phrase. I yeah, was, you love you love that Doc Soames line. I think it's it's, so I, funny. it just cracked me up. Like imagining like an old man saying that. So, uh, Mother Abigail. Anytime she talks about sex, it's just like fucking yeah. nasty to me because and it's she talks about bowel movements. Yeah, you know, it's, it's just the, bowel because, because the problem is every the way she talks about about shitting, about fucking, about everything. It's just in this like, ooh, doing the good Lord's work, like the <laughs> when you smell those sex juices between a man and a woman, oh, and it mixes with the corn outside, like. Uh, uh, wait, is that real? Yeah, oh she talks. She, she has a whole passage about how like the their juices coming together, yeah, and then she would lay in bed and smell the corn outside, and then but but the one line that always sticks out to me. Um, it, it, when she's talking about when Ralph first gets to the to Hemingford home, and he's trying to impress the the woman there with June, I think her name is or yeah. something, and he, he's like lifting something for her, and uh, you know Mother Abigail sees them, you know, making nice, and she thinks in her head's head like, oh, that's good, you know, people will need to reproduce in this world, and then she says about the woman, um. The woman had a good set of hips on her. There would be a fine porch door down there. Between oh yeah, them. and I'm like. Why? Why? Why is every? I feel like every time Mother Abigail looks at something sexual, it's just like, oh yes, <laughs> like like the, the fake reaction we give about pound cake. I, I feel like that's how what that's her real thing. It's always like, oh yes, a porch door. So that's that's mine. But um, I feel I'd, like we, I, I'd also throw out another uh, another. Uh, it's not in a book necessarily, but a great instance of just real life pound cake was the fact that <laughs> Stephen King brought uh, a pair of his wife's oh, panties yeah. on set with him to Maximum Overdrive. Do, do you think just for for winter's sake that the, the uh, Shining Seed spillage? Yeah, I think Seed spillage will probably come out here. I mean, yeah, because I, I, although I will spillage. say that there's not, I don't feel like there's a ton of breast talk in uh, that. But because um, I think for me it was like Carrie and Rage, like the earliest books were probably yeah. the biggest. Offenders in terms of constant boob talk. Yeah. Um, there are like defining traits of characters. Yeah, there is a insane. sex scene in Carrie that 
I think is actually really, really well written. It's between Billy and Chris at yeah. the end, yeah. and it, it's kind of like they're hate fucking each other. Um, and it's it's actually written pretty well as a sex scene, as far as being like. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. like it's kind of hot but kind of dangerous, and they're like it's this it's this very um, I don't know it's, it toes the line really like, really well. It's very metaphorical too because I think at one point like the grease gets all on. Oh no, wait, that's a different one. I think that's a different sex scene where the grease gets on her like cardigan or something. Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah, earlier yeah. on, yeah. But and and then they they essentially start um, criticizing each other for like. She essentially calls Billy out, like, "Oh, you just want to have rough sex with me." Like, I know how you like it, and then he call then he calls out her like privilege or dad being a lawyer, and they just like hate fuck each other, mm-hmm. and they talk about them drifting into deep red unconsciousness, like, like it's filled with anger, and oh man, it's it's I think it's actually really effective, and it delivers their sense of suddenly being remorseful but being very afraid of that and um so that's like a that's a really good pound cake well you know you know what they say about when you really really love passages it's uh almost autobiographical so i i I gotta say oh yeah that's that's probably i really related to uh when i to Uh, pranking people feeling bad about them having crazy sex yeah no no we're just kidding we're we're all having fun all right so uh so that's our pound cake uh it was delicious uh, but delicious like, seed spillage. It's Ooh. time to burn some calories uh, <laughs> uh, because our heart's pumping so fast because we're walking into the cemetery. Ooh. And uh, it's time to talk about the scariest <laughs> moments that we have here. Um, I'll say this um, on ret- in retrospect, um, The Shining is, I think, definitely the scariest Absolutely. of all of these books. Absolutely. All, when I was thinking about the scariest moments um, and the moments that unnerved me the most, I kept going back to The Shining. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I've got I've got several, but uh, the I think the number one scariest moment in The Shining, and unfortunately I'm like flipping through my book and I cannot find it, is, um, but it was when Danny was in the tunnel mm-hmm. and yes. he knows there's something in the oh, tunnel yeah. with him. And then when he gets out and runs away, he like looks back and he's, he thinks he sees something coming out of the tunnel after. Him. And they never really go into no, what they it never was, get into yeah. it more. And that shit like terrified me. So, and then I've got a few others too, but I can touch on that in a moment. So, Mac, what do you you got? Uh, you know, it's funny. Uh, this wasn't one of my scariest moments in uh, when we were doing this for the book, but it's something that I always I keep going back to is that moment in Salem's Lot when uh, I think it's the sheriff sees. Susan and Barlow oh, floating yeah. down the road. Yeah. That was that was like my scariest moment. That is just but. that keeps coming back to me. And also in the beginning of Dead Zone, when they you know the opening credits and they show the man walking or oh, someone yeah. walking on the road, that it reminds me of that yeah. uh, of that scene in Salem's Lot, and that, that that creeps me out. The the Dead Zone credits thing is really haunting. I when I when I was cutting the uh, video portion for our Facebook cover. That was like I was like tearing like up like in, in like just fear just like cutting it because like I don't know there's something about Cayman's score and that shot that it, it cannot be happenstance like it, it had to have been like in that the, has anyone online uh, there has to be a Reddit thread or something I wonder if anyone else has caught that and talked about it or or if they've asked David Cronenberg well, about just that the idea that it's daytime is really well scary. you know you know and you know what's the, what is creepy about what that? moment is this like explain for it's the, literally oh. just the opening credits of yeah. Dead Zone and you see this this person in a, a raincoat which it's, is what Frank Dodd wears in the it's still shots of Castle Rock like it's in the, there's no movement it's just like still photographs of, of Castle ah. Rock and it, it's I it, it's unclear whether you see someone walking down the streets from really far away. And yeah, they're just wearing like a black slicker or a black raincoat. Now it's unclear whether that person just happened to be in the shot when oh. they took it, or if David Kernberg put him there. I mean, I'd like to think it's the latter, just because it's such a creepy little yeah. nod. But yeah. I, I think it was just a shot, and I think that again, it's like the mistakes 
always like end up being like the coolest happy thing accident. about yeah happy accident like in um, a three men and a little baby when yeah. um when that that weird cardboard <laughs> yeah, cut out of yeah. oh and, and everyone thought that was like the uh, ghost, ghost I, the- I was convinced until the internet really came around because i found out that in the 90s i was convinced that was like an actual ghost in the movie because then they finally cut they, you know and they analyzed it online they showed right, that it was right. like ted danson in like a tuxedo or something but oh god yeah that still scared the hell it, out of it me it still looks creepy um Mine is actually uh, <laughs> coming off of pound cake. Um, it, the sex scene between Randall Flagg and Nadine mm. is just mm. when Allison. I remember read it on the the podcast. Ju- it, it was a thing like, man, I don't need to hear that or read it again. And I mean that in a good way. Um, I I can't think of an instance, King or otherwise, where someone captures just descending into lunacy like that, and then mixed with all the weird sexuality of it and what it means for the book and the violent imagery and all that. I mean, it is just, to me, it's unsettling in the way that a Cormac McCarthy book is unsettling. It feel it feels almost biblical and epic the way that it, it unnerves you. Like it didn't just creep me out. It, it really kind of shook me. So that's, that's definitely mine, but yeah, for me, it's the shining. Uh, I actually almost had the little, uh, playground hole that, yeah. that Danny went into. I, I, that was actually the choice I had until I, f- Again, just kind of what Mac was saying with things that stick with you is the pre- the idea of the dog, like, yeah. and how what a cruel fate to that person um, that oh, was the guy emasculated who, by his yeah. boss, and he now he has to suffer this like infinite fate of always just basically he has a dog. I mean, there's like that section where Danny sees him in the hallway and he's literally just going about his own business, not really even trying to scare Danny Mm -hmm. per se. He's just, he's just in this perpetual state of having to act like a dog. And, you know, coupled with the fact that that whole scene is terrifying anyway, because he's got like the red eyes and then he does actually chase after Danny. But then that part's not even the scariest thing to me. The scariest thing is again, it's like this fate that, you know, it's tragic, but it's also just really fucking eerie that he loses his humanity to this, thing that was really just supposed to be a gag and he's actually chasing his tail and mm-hmm. he's actually like acting like a dog and, and it's just the fact that these things continue to keep going on in the hotel like king writes a really great passage it's on 495 of uh, the anchor books edition um, <laughs> this is this is this is great um this is actually after danny had already seen that dog was there he you know he closes the door and then he um closes his eyes because he's trying to control himself and say like well this is just in my head this could just be an illusion and king goes the hotel was running things now maybe at first the things that had happened had only been accidents maybe at first things that he had seen were really word like scary pictures that couldn't hurt him but now the hotel was controlling those things and they could hurt and like that's that, that, and that and that realization of just like they are screwed the things that are happening in this hotel are real there this isn't just an illusion like these are these these something disturbing and really weird happened in this hotel and that's why i love about kubrick's movie like adaptation of it is because he takes that feeling and makes it into kind of a distorted state and but for me, like that, just that premise of, of, of that cruelty to, to a character we don't even really know, mm-hmm. but just the fact that that could happen is so terrifying. And he's, he, doesn't he cry at one point, too? I, yeah. He starts crying because he, he references how uh, the boss, the, the crime lord movie producer guy, um, won't, won't reference his own bisexuality and that on yeah. weekends he kind of goes for this guy. And I also got the sense from the dog character that 
he actually maybe wanted just to be loved by this guy yeah. in a weird way. Like, cause he keeps saying like, Oh, I'm like his weekend fling, but then he starts crying. And yeah, it's not just the, it's not just the, like you said, the emasculation, it's being emotionally abused also by this yeah. guy. It's um, yeah, that, that was really, really haunting. And then the hotel makes him this dog. Yeah. Uh, uh-huh. I, um, yeah. And then just another shining moment, like when Jack first encounters the woman in the tub, Yeah, oh, like yeah. I just have this section here. It's so creepy. Like, cause he, you know, he opens it, he looks, there's nothing there. And then as he's walking back, it's this, um, he crossed jerkily to the door, which gave on the hall, uh, feeling the irregular thump of a headache beginning at his temples. Too much had happened today, too much by far. He wouldn't spank the boy or shake him, just talk to him, but by God, he wasn't going to add room 217 to his problems. Not on the basis of a dry bath mat and a faint smell of Loela uh, soap. He And then there was a sudden rattling metallic sound behind him. It came just as his hand closed around the doorknob, <laughs> and an observer might have thought the brush steel of the knob carried an electric charge. He jerked convulsively, eyes widening, other facial features drawing in, grimacing. Then he had control of himself, a little anyway. And he let go of the doorknob and turned carefully around. His joints creaked. He began to walk back to the bathroom door, step by leaden step. The shower curtain, which he had pushed back to look into the tub, was now drawn. The metallic rattle, which had sounded to him like a stir of bones in a crypt, had been the curtain rings on the overhead bar. Jack stared at the curtain. His face felt as if it had been heavily waxed, all dead skin on the outside, live hot rivulets of fear on the inside, the way he had felt on the playground. There was something behind the pink plastic shower curtain. There was something in the tub. He could see it ill-defined and obscure through the plastic, a nearly amorphous shape. It could have been anything, a trick of the light, the shadow of the shower attachment, a woman long dead and reclining in her bath, a bar of Loilo soap in one stiffening hand as she waited patiently for whatever lover to come. And that's just so creepy. And then, and then later when I think it's when he runs out of the room and uh-huh. he hears the like, yep. Like, Oh God. That and then the door, the Danny, I think sees the doorknob turning when he's outside. Yeah. All that stuff is so scary. I think all those moments are, are hand, like, yeah. Should we just say, say the yes. shining? I think, yeah. I, I think we could change this category to like the scariest book. I yeah. think we should yeah. probably just do that. Yeah. And, that's and, probably and, smart. You know. Congrats shining. You just got an upgrade in your category. Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's fair. I mean, I think the, the, the shining is the most relatable because I mean, look, we all know the vampires aren't real. We all know that like, you know, well, the telekinetic, telekinesis is is a far-fetched thing like for the most part but there are ghosts that like i think everyone has always had that feeling of being in a house or being in an apartment or something and just being like maybe there is something here or what was that noise or and i think the shining just absolutely capitalizes on those moments and for me i think that's why it's usually the most significant book that people you know point out and not not just because of the kubrick version also but i think just the premise itself is just you know, lends itself to that. I think the scariest thing is your own imagination. And yeah. I think that ghost stories are, are lend themselves to that hugely. And I think that that's another reason why everybody gets so creeped out reading that book, because everybody's had that moment where they think they're not alone. Yep. And uh, whether they believe in ghosts or not, um, I think that it's just, you know, something that everybody has in common and it's, it's, it's terrifying. That book's awfully terrifying. Um, I mean, I, I, I think my Salem's lot thing's scarier. No, <laughs> no, but I know, you know, as soon as you said the, the moment about Danny on the playground that I was like, Oh God, I forgot about that. And that is so creepy. Um, I mean, I, I yeah, reread that, that, that book section. I, I remember going back and just we did, we read it in the episode. Yeah. And, and even when I was, you know, reading it for this again, it was one of those things I just kind of 
you know, um, Robert Eard and just went back and just kept reading it again and again. And, um, I mean, honestly, all the stuff on the playground is pretty frightening. Yeah. I mean, Jack's first instance when he like sees the head. Yeah. I was looking uh, at those pages. Hello, this is Jason, co-host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no-prep, no-mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer, thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Damn. Oh, damn it. Well, let's move on uh, to the best ending. We've already discussed the worst, um, but which ending do you think really nails it? Um, I think mine might be a little controversial, but I think I just really, and especially because we did have a lot of criticism in the episode, but just in retrospect, I I, I really appreciate the stand, um, the stand's ending. I mean, that's such a hard story to end. It's, mm-hmm. you know, 1200 page book and it's, uh, you know, all about the apocalypse and the rebuilding of society. And I kind of just love that Stephen King really embraces the message in the end of that community um, is both necessary, but also it's it is a necessary evil in its own way. And it does and the same problems and the cyclical nature of, of humanity will always manifest in the idea that Fran and Stu do their best to try to at least prolong uh, that those evils by just going off on their own is is I think very moving and I like the last couple lines but but I'll also say that I just love the climax of the book mm-hmm. um, I love the Vegas showdown with um, you know Larry and Ralph on the uh, torture devices and the arrival of Trash Can Man with the nuke Randall Flag flying away just all of that I think that whole climax is really well done it's really powerful it's really exciting um, and it's epic and I guess I just love that. God. And those scenes with uh, Tom and, and Stu. Yeah, in the, the hotel scenes with Tom and Stu are so are, are great, too. Great, great. I feel like the last hundred pages of The Stand is like really excellent. You know, I, there's been a lot of controversy about that. Like you had said, I, and a lot of readers actually complain about the ending, too. And I, I, I still don't get it. Yeah. I really, I think it does. And I think it absolutely redeems itself, actually, yeah. with that ending. So. I, I still, I mean... I love the way it ultimately ends. I, I still, I mean, we talked about this. I still have problems with the, the hand of God thing. I think it's handled a lot better yeah. in the book than it is in the movie. Yeah. But I do agree with what you're saying. As far as being, it feels very satisfying, the mm-hmm. whole yeah. thing, you know? And, and especially after that comes after a stretch of the book that isn't very satisfying mm-hmm. and bolder. So yeah, I definitely think it, it's the most like redemptive ending yeah. of it. Yeah. And I do love those final pages that I actually prefer the, um, the uncut one, or sorry, the cut one, the I don't know. I think mm-hmm. that's a more powerful yeah. final moment than yeah. than Flag uh, speaking to the natives. But yeah, I, I mean, I yeah, I don't like the whole like um, yeah. MCU sort of uh, post credit yeah. sequence. <laughs> <or anything. laughs> yeah. I, uh, I think Mac and I are probably the same in answer for the ending. But what's yours? Oh, really? I, I think, don't know. I think, I think we do. Go ahead. 
Uh, my favorite ending, uh, personally, uh, I just love that the last like paragraph is I am the doorway. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Man, and yeah. I got it right here. I'm just going to read it really quickly. Uh, it says, uh, I get along just fine these, with these hooks. There was terrible pain for the first year or so, but the human body can adjust to almost anything. I, sh- I shave with them, and I even tie my own shoelaces. And as you can see, my typing is nice and even. I don't even expect to have any trouble putting the shotgun into my mouth or pulling the trigger. It started again three weeks ago, you see. There's a perfect circle of 12 golden eyes on my chest. Oh, that's so yeah, scary. that's so good. Love it. Love is punch endings. Uh, the same thing with, like, Boogeyman and... Um, Bojman. Bojman? Uh, yeah, Mr. Bojman. <laughs> Mr. Uh, <laughs> Mr. Bojman. Oh, Gray Matter. Love that ending, gray too. Matter, yeah, gray that is a great good. last, like, little... And I think that's another reason why I don't like the Shining endings, because I think it could have had a great, like, offsetting, like... You know, ending like gray matter, like I don't know, maybe the ghosts are there, maybe they're not, and I feel like they try to do that with some of the adaptations. It doesn't really work, so maybe maybe he was better with doing the good happy ending. But but, but Mac, that's why we're we're just so fortunate, and we should really thank our lucky stars every night that Stanley Kubrick saved The Shining. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, you and know, I'm like we do want to have Stephen King on yeah, the podcast I, at some point. I know. I was just thinking that, like, he reads that and he's just like, "Ah, Tabby, yeah. <laughs> get my lawyer." <laughs> he's what? just uh, furiously petting his dog, <laughs> and Molly's over there, like trying to calm down. <laughs> what if his agent was like, "Stephen, we got to make a decision on whether or not you want to approach the Losers Club about their podcast." He's like, "Well, let me listen to one more episode and I'll make my decision." And then, uh, yeah, then he and then he's right about to come on board, and he he, he hears that, and he's like, "That's it, yeah." Um, uh, Dan, what do you got? We don't have the same ending. I, you know, I know, I know. It was uh, we just uh, Chris has a little bit a little while ago. I, I love the long walk ending. Mm, um, and yeah. when I say the ending, I'm I'm really talking about that last page or so. Yeah. When I, I think out of all the King novels, may, maybe ever, I think it's the it might be the only one that ends with a true sense of mystery, like where it's really open for interpretation as far as not, not just what it's saying, but what is actually happening. Um, and that it stands out and it just, I can't think of any other way for that book to end. Uh, and it, it just, it just struck me as being different in the best way possible. Um, just in the overall King Canon. So, um, and like I said, I, I, I don't have a problem with the way that Stebbins and McFreeze go down. Um, like Matt, I agree with Mac and that's very much in line with the book, but, um, but that's not what makes standing great for me. What makes it great is that, like I said, that last page of him just running away from it. So yeah. What about you, Mike? I think you guys are all fucked in the head. So <laughs> I, 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 I can't believe you didn't choose this one. Uh, I thought the dead zones ending is, is just flawless. 10 out of 10. Yeah, uh, it's great. The way that King weaves in the, the letter with, uh, you know, with all the, the thoughts of like, um, of Johnny to his father and then also to Sarah and then how you watch Sarah go to the, the cemetery. It was weaved together so perfectly that I, I really felt like I was watching a movie. And, uh, I mean, I read it, I read it like right out there outside in the office and I was bawling like and a, on a work day. It's just, it's so then the mailman, and, then the mailman comes by there. Yeah. The hell's wrong with this <laughs> fucking loser. Um, and I was like, I am a loser. Um, one of, one of six. Um, but, uh, I, I, I just that that to me was where it was like such a crystallization of everything he had been building upon in the seventies, and I, I don't know. It's just a it's an MVP right there. I I, I do think I think that's the best ending, but I, I had to go with like my personal yeah. favorite, like something that really stuck. No, with me. totally. And also, I think that going forward, we could probably have like the best last line. 
Oh yeah, that would be oh, good. Yeah, because uh, or like, and 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 I just want to give a shout out real quick to uh, Strawberry String uh, Spring. Excuse me, <laughs> Strawberry String. Strawberry String. Strawberry, uh, strawberry, strawberry Swing. When he says, uh, "I can hear my wife as I write this in the next room crying. She thinks I was with another woman last night." And oh dear God, I think so too. I love that ending. Yeah. <laughs> and even though we know we, where it's going, we know he's probably the killer. I just, I just love that last night. Night shift in general has, I think, some just really zinger last yeah. lines. Great they punches. Really, yeah. Should we go? I mean, because hey, we gotta have a winner for each of these categories. Should we say the dead zone? Because no, we, no, you guys don't need to. Do it. Let's, well, no, I'm just saying because we all had four different answers. So, I'm well, hey, we, we got four. We, we leave it up to the audience. Yeah, we'll, okay, we'll right, leave it. Yeah. yeah, we'll leave it up to the, to the uh, listeners. So I'm gonna stra- doorway, dead zone, stand, and God, I, I love that doorway ending. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. That's so good. All of them, like all of them, with the exception of yours, Dan, uh, were were all really good choices. No, I'm just joking. Uh, I actually, the more I think about it, I do like the the, the long walk ending a little bit. But you know, I'm torn on it. I'm, so as Natalie and Bruglia once. Let's said. all uh, <laughs> let's yeah. all take a step back and uh, just take a take in our surroundings. Uh, this is the award for best setting. <laughs> <laughs> what a great seg! Great seg. That was a great bit. Um, uh, best setting. Um, this one, I don't know. I feel like we might have. Similar answers to this, yeah. uh, definitely Salem's Lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love the town. Agreed. It's, it's is so, that unanimous? Or the, the, yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's it's unanimous. unanimous. Yeah, yeah. and it's, we can all we can all talk book. about it it's now. The name <laughs> of the book. It's a beautifully <laughs> rendered uh, uh, town. The residents, the general milieu, milieu of it. It's like it feels very authentic to like what the like the northwest or the northeast. And um, yeah, and I think it's I think he it's the kind of town that I think he just really has an affection for. Yeah. And um, but also not just the beauty of it, but also the darkness of it and he, and he captures both things because when you're reading it um and you guys read some of the passages about autumn and, and whatever yeah. else in the book you do get nostalgic and you want to be there but then he's so and the the scene that really is weirdly nostalgic for me is when um ben comes over to matt burke's house and they have a spaghetti dinner yeah. and it's like the simplest thing you know matt's like oh cookie dinner it's spaghetti and the way they're just kind of hanging out in this quiet little shady house in the suburbs it's not even a suburb, really, because it's more of like a hamlet, I guess, like a rural hamlet. Um, but that just reminds me of, I know New Jersey is not Maine, but I've I've had like nights like that in New Jersey, just like the types of neighborhoods he mm-hmm. describes. And But like you said, he gets it. He gets it how that kind of setting can just breed pure poison in mm-hmm. its residents also. And yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it, outside. I mean, the stand probably is the strongest ensemble, but we talked about this before. I think Sam's lot maybe establishes the tighter knit community, you yeah. know? And, uh, I mean, I love those lot chapters. Like I actually yeah. liked when we strayed uh, from the so main good. characters and, uh, yeah, they're, it's great. Well, it, it's also, it's so affecting that it continues to haunt you. I mean, yeah. like we talked about Salem's lot last, you know, the last episode in the dead zone. And the, I think there's like mm-hmm. a, a random mention, uh, in that book. And there's the idea that it's still out there is so haunting. And, and it, in this book is so well written in terms of with the sense of place um, that you do feel like you're there. Like I know I, I felt like I was I was able to drive around um, in my head just where the Marston house was, where Ben Mears was staying, like where the hospital yeah. was, where Matt's house was, like the bar, everything. Like you really did get that like location in your head. Like I almost was, yeah. I felt like I was like playing Grand Theft Auto and <laughs> I was able to go from one place to another with like ease. So when it had, and it also has the advantage of having Jerusalem's lot and one for the road, both yeah. of which expand oh, totally. upon the physical geography of all of it yeah. and the surrounding towns. And also too, because of the, um, the newspaper structure in the beginning where you keep reading about it. you just get so much information mm-hmm. from many different sources and it just paints this complete picture of it. Yeah. I love, love it. Up. I want to go back. 
Yeah, I think it paints it great. Um, that's my favorite as well. Uh, I, you know, I, I, I would spend uh, summers and Christmases in Abbeville, South Carolina, which is a very small town, and obviously it's not Maine, but uh, you you can see like the dirty underbelly of like this town, like you know, steeped in and you know, just you know, there's you know, gross shit. Well, there's everybody, gross yeah. shit in every town, yeah. but I yeah. I just feel like it's also kind of perfect, and and it's a, it's a place I would want to go visit every year. Um, but then, you know, as I got older, you're kind of like, oh, maybe, maybe this isn't as perfect and great as it is, but I feel like that's with everything. Um, well, there's something also very prescient about the location because, you know, obviously it was written at a time with the xenophobia in mind and also big business and commercialism that's taking over a lot of the small towns and like mm-hmm. it, with, I mean, especially in the era of Amazon now, it just feels like that's impossible. It doesn't matter how far you go and how, you know, removed you are from big society, like you are going to be conquered by big society or big conglomerates and stuff. And so there's a weight to that for me, like when I was reading this, that made me feel really nostalgic for being able to escape into these small towns because you can't really anymore. Everything's connected. Everything's, yeah. you know, they're, they're, we're all slavish to these, these huge things that are going to take over, even if they're nowhere, they're, even if their presence is nowhere near the town. Um, thank you very much, Jeff Bezos, uh, for uh, <laughs> your, your wonderful company that has uh, done great things for this country. Great. Um, now it's uh, let's, ta- let's take a little uh, mosey out of uh, Salem's <laughs> lot. Uh, but they, but guess what? They hook us back in. Yeah, we're man. talking about the uh, the best hook. Uh, you know, the best sort of central premise or or um, you know the selling point of the book. For me, um, I'm going to go with The Shining uh, because you know it's interesting. You know, vampires are interesting. Telekinesis is interesting. The Shining, though, I think it's just such a crackerjack premise for a book. Like totally. the idea of being in this old, ornate, haunted hotel, um, surrounded by snow with no way out, and I think the ghosts are so you know like strikingly rendered in it. But I think just that central premise, that hook, it's just a haunted house story in a lot of ways. But it's so much more than that, especially when you factor in the history of the family itself. And so, in terms of pure just selling points, like. That to me is an original, interesting story. That uh, no matter how much it's done, I would always want to read that. So, for me, it is Salem's Lot. I I've just always been obsessed with uh, vampire history lore, and uh, I just he just does it so well in that book. I I'm I'm just a total Salem's you know nut. <laughs> Salem's head. Yeah, Salem's head. head. Uh, yeah. No. I, I just. That always brings me back, and I think that's also why uh, the one for the road and Jerusalem's lot. Um, I'm always so excited when I got there. I was like, "Oh my gosh, we're going to get more of this!" and and I'm still eager for more. And I hope he never goes back to it because I want to always want more Salem's Lot, and I I just feel like um, that's a successful hook. I want. I just want a book just about Ben Mears writing his next novel. Nothing to do with vampires. Just to, I think he's the most. No, he's, he'd guy. be able to write like six of them in like you know a month and no problems. <laughs> he's like, I know I'm in my 80s now, but my health is great. Uh, my, uh, <laughs> he reminds me of uh, was it Blake Jenner's character from uh, Everybody Wants Some. Everything just comes right to him. Oh uh, boy, brother. Oh, yeah. um, hey, I, lo- I love to. Everyone raved about that movie. No one gives a shit. Nobody about cares that. about it anymore. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to talk about that. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, my my favorite, uh, just as far as the hook goes, is the. Stand I think it's the most succinctly described. Um, you go, okay, a, genet- a, bi- a biological engineer disease wipes out 99.4% of the, hum- the Earth's population. The survivors have to gather for a fight of good against evil. And I think that, and we know I have issues with the stand, of course, but I think as far as just 
coming up with something completely different and just packing a lot into one sentence about what this book covers. I mean, it's, it's gotta be the stand for me. And also too, we start off with the hook of that book and it gets a little wonky as it goes along. But I think the stand is the most immediately gripping out of all Mm. those novels for me. You know, it would be disingenuous of me not to pick this shining because I was the book that got me into Stephen King. Mm -hmm. Um, really, uh, but for me, historically, I have to pick Carrie. Uh, I think that it's just such a an interesting and original idea, and to come from even a male author to be able to write that book is pretty compelling. I mean, we actually studied that book in a in my women in literature class back in Florida State, and it was a controversial pick uh, by the teacher, and she was she was really insistent on picking it because um, Carrie is such a strong figure in uh, literature, in in the sense that like even just like not just in the supernatural realm, but just like how like she is very powerful and she's, she's very complicated and she's very complex. And, um, I just think like the way that King writes that is, is really impressive. And just the idea itself is, is such a smart way to kind of weld those, uh, f- feelings of being marginalized and excommunicated and, and, and not, and, and being like, you know, the quote unquote freak of the school and actually having those like, and welding that with like telekinesis and also like all the religious aspects of the, the book just is really compelling. And it, you know, it really, it kickstarted his career. So for the seventies for me, I just, I, I feel like Carrie really defined him. Um, but I would also, uh, lean towards the shining because mm-hmm. again, it's, 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 ultimately the most popular book he's yeah. ever written. Um, We're going to so, need the uh, you know, listeners to figure this yeah. one out. Listeners, you got to vote. Uh, Carry it, The Stand, Salem's Lot, or The Shining. Yeah. Booyah. Yeah. So, um... Now we're going to talk about our, our favorite characters. Uh, but before we get to the big boys, uh, we're going to talk about some of our favorite minor characters. Uh, this one, it's a slam dunk for me. Uh, oh, I know you're going to pick up. Because you know the Rat Man. Forgive- oh, no. <laughs> no. Love Rat Man. Rat Man, forgive you this time. Um, oh, no, I have a lot of small characters that I love, especially in Salem's Lot. Like, mm. um, I think that pretty much all I love like characters like Weasel you know like you yeah. don't you, you don't see much of him there's just this sort of uh, you know like um, uh, like threadbare history between him and the woman who runs the oh, Eva yeah. Eva who runs the uh, the um, the hotel where where they stay and uh, I find that very moving it was just like the barest threads that there used to be a relationship there and then when he becomes a vampire he kind of draws her in just using that history and, and it says so much about their characters and it brings them together in such this kind of lovely but also horrifying way. Um, yeah, so yeah, that's like one example. Same yeah. thing with uh, Dud Rogers and uh, Ruthie Crockett, yeah. which is in a much creepier way. Mm-hmm. But this thing of you start to see the appeal of being a vampire, like the thing you've wanted the most you can get. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and it's funny too because as a kid, I remember King spending a lot of time on all those characters. Yeah, but you're absolutely right. Rereading it, I'm like, man, these they each only get a handful of chapters, mm-hmm. but you. He's so good at distributing the ca- the information about his ensemble cast in Salem's Lot. So yeah, I gotta admire that. Yeah, yeah. yeah what you what about you, Mike? Um, let's see here. I have to say, <laughs> I had the Rat Man queued up, but um, <laughs> I I really I, oh oh Sheriff Bannerman. Yeah, I love Bannerman, and maybe it's just because I I, I know he, he's gonna pop wait, back wait, up. But would um, he be a minor character though? You think? I don't know. I, like, I, I think like so. Character. I don't yeah. think he's really super featured in in, in the Dead Zone. I yeah, think I we give not, him a lot yeah. of play because we know. Yeah, you know. Yeah. But um, 
But yeah, I, I love the old Bannerman. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see, be seeing more of him in a, a little uh, book yeah. called. Well, uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a book called um, Roof Roof. Uh, Christine? No. My favorite minor character, and uh, Mike actually called him out on the episode of this. And when I reread the book, I was like, oh, yeah, it's, uh, it's Principal Grail from Carrie. Um, yeah. And it's mm. honestly, oh, it's, yeah. it's because he, all right, so he survives and he actually really doesn't do anything bad to carry the whole book he doesn't even really view her differently like everyone else does but he also maybe doesn't do enough Mm -hmm. to stop it and i think we can all relate to that being i mean we've talked about this off off the podcast but i think we all have a friend maybe who got picked on and we we didn't pick on them but we also didn't stand up for them Mm -hmm. and i think that he captures the king captures that so well especially in the end of the book where it talks about the principal moving away and feeling such guilt over it and he has that classic scene where he just tells chris hargenson's dad to fuck off and i think i I, to me because i don't know i both my parents are in education and my mom's been a superintendent and a principal and like every job and uh to put it lightly there are a lot of nutso parents out there i mean i know that's maybe doesn't sound like a great thing to say but there are a lot of people who like self-righteous yeah they get and about stupid shit and especially parents of, of kids it's obviously like your kid is a fucking sociopath or your kid is awful and sometimes because of the, the fear of legal ramifications, the teachers or the principals or the instructors, they do bow to that. They're afraid to take a stand. And so I do love that. That uh, I, I don't know. I love that Principal Grail is like in Carrie's corner for that part and then still feels guilt over not doing mm-hmm. enough later on. So that just that just really I relate to that quite a bit. And um, he's not a character I had even remembered really until Mike brought him up. And when I reread the book, I was like, oh, yeah, totally. So Principal Grail for me. You know, I, my choice probably doesn't fit here. I don't think he's minor enough, but yeah. it is in Carrie, is Tommy Ross. I yeah. guess that's a yeah. little too big, but I still think he's kind of minor in a way because he don't really talk. He doesn't really get that much of a, you know. Yeah, uh, he was on my list. Spotlight. Too. But God, I love him. Good I really character. love him. He's just like a good hearted guy that he's one of King's like most tragic victims to me because he doesn't really deserve anything that's coming to him because he actually was trying to be just is is nice and wholesome as possible and like just that whole line about how like they don't even have to go to the party after the prom like they could just go get burgers and just talk is so like uh, just heartwarming and like i just thought about that like when when he just dies and burns alive and it's just it's awful it's just uh on uh on i'm gonna change my vote Mm. i know it's a little controversial we haven't done that yet but (laughs) chapter three of the shining watson yeah, oh. <laughs> I was thinking about Watson. So too. short, but like, I mean, we talked we talked about him for so long on that cast. Very I mean, memorable. like, that is a super memorable, Ex- very minor exposition. Character. Watson, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, um, Almond too is really interesting. I, you, you do yeah. remember, even with Watson, like his expositions are ridiculous. But we do, you remember him? Like he has such character. Like yeah. the how he keeps just going, holy shit! Almond, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I like Almond uh, Kubrick's version just because I love that actor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's great. But Almond's um, such a, an irascible bastard, and uh, yeah. the the, the here. So um, I think that makes a clear runaway win for the Rat Man. Oh, yeah. I'm just going yeah, oh, to put it by default. Yeah, the Rat by Man. By default. Um, <laughs> the Rat Man forgive you this time. I'm just kidding. Wait, did you vote the so Rat Man as well? No, no, no. I voted no, for. Just, oh, we're just giving the Rat Man his due. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if listeners need to vote between those four characters. No, it's, I think you get a bunch. Oh no, no. We want hard. people to to share their favorites. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, okay, yeah. Let's move on. So we're uh, out of out of minor characters. We're going to move into supporting characters. Uh, we're going to talk about best supporting villain, who's like the not the main villain, but the second or third. And the feeling we're going to have some similarities. Yeah, in this one. I you, think you and I. You know what yeah, mine is. It's uh 
it's Lloyd Henry. He ain't bad Ditto. for a slice of Wonder Bread. I actually have one that I thought. Uh, anyway. Oh, well, it's okay. I'm on Team Randall. Uh, yeah, I'm not a- Flag, but Colburn. <laughs> I love, love, love Lloyd. He's one of my favorite characters in the King canon. Um, I wish we had more of him in uh, The Stand, which I know we discussed. But, you know, uh, I think he's a deep, complicated, interesting, weird, nasty, mean, but also, um, you know, smart and a guy who never really achieved his potential. Um, But also he is really ruthless and kind of cold-blooded. And he's not like a villain with a heart of gold. You know, he's a villain with a brain uh, and like and like a drive and an ambition. And I really like that about him like he really believes in flag he really is loyal to flag and he also is very good at his job Mm -hmm. like and he was just a petty criminal in his other life so i think all of those things to me um i think that's why i really respond to him as kind of like a henchman the rat the rat man loves him too the rat man loves him do you uh admit a personal bias uh i i do that miguel ferrer the late miguel ferrer absolutely i i I feel like that i first encountered the character when miguel ferrer was playing him and i've always loved miguel ferrer as an actor and it definitely Definitely helps, but um, but I have always liked the character on yeah. page too. So I'm surprised you did not pick Harold Lauder. That's who I have, and I, I yeah, I guess you're yeah. right. I mean, like I mean, you don't you, Lloyd's well, great too. I just that that's that was mine. I thought I thought for sure that was funnily funnily enough. Like I guess when I just first started thinking of it, it's hard for me. It's like, I feel like Harold isn't a clear villain. Yeah, exactly. And I yeah. think that he is like, I'm not going to like argue that necessarily, but I think he didn't pop to my head necessarily no. because he feels, he feels in that liminal space between hero and villain, you know? And, uh, and well, I think the fact that we're having that, this discussion about it proves that I'm right. <laughs> no, no, he, is a, he definitely <laughs> is a villain. I, I, I agree though. Cause he didn't, I see he, what you mean. Cause he, yeah. he, he he's just more of a tragic figure. Than he's anything. tragic, you yeah. know? And like, I guess like what I like about Lloyd is that he's proud villain, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, I think Harold Harold is a worse person by far. Oh, yeah, I think. But uh, but I definitely think that. um, But, you know, Harold's one of my favorite characters in the King canon as well. And um, uh, if not my favorite. And so, you know, that is a good point. But I'm going to stick to Lloyd, but only because uh, I think that makes things a little more interesting. (laughs) Mac, maybe Mac can make it more interesting by being maybe, Uh, you know, (laughs) I'm like trying to needle him. I'm like, oh, when you go to the voting booths, uh, who are you? <laughs> President Henry? It's surprising or? for me because when we get to characters and stuff, like I, I go back to Carrie, yeah. and I think Chris Harkinson's just terrifying. Oh, she's awful. Yeah. I mean, nothing's scarier than a, than a mean teenage girl. Uh, no, I, <laughs> no. Seriously though, I mean, just like just the way that they 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 tear down Carrie, and it's just I think also because. I know people like that, you know, like grow, growing up, I knew girls like that and guys that were just, just mean at heart. And like, regardless of their background, or their situation. But, um, she, I think that that is just something that sticks with me. Um, yeah. And it's just, uh, awful, well, and then, awful. And, she's an awful human being. That's the thing. I mean, it's, <laughs> you have people like Larry, like Harold where, and, and Lloyd, where it's important to paint their complexities and and show why they are the way they are. But yeah. you're absolutely right. There are people who it's like the Simpsons say, like some people, well, they're just jerks. You know, I mean, <laughs> I, it's, and it's true. Like they're like Chris Hardinson. I, I don't even think it's because she's spoiled or from a rich family. I think she's just she's just got like 
blackness in her soul. I, yeah. I, I, I yeah. think her pump or her heart like yeah. pumps oil or something. And she's just horrible. And there are definitely people like that. So yeah, I think that's a uh, win for Lloyd then, yeah. Mr. Henry. Lloyd, Mr. Henry, he ain't bad for a slice. Hey, he bad for I'll, a slice uh, of Wonder Bread. I'll let that happen because I, I do love Lloyd. Lloyd as well. Look, Lloyd's great. I mean, if I had to, yeah, he's, yeah. he's, he's he is my second period. Of um. So yeah, and then uh, on the opposite end of that coin, the best supporting hero. Who is somebody who is uh, you know, not not East Tef- not East Texas, but uh, maybe West <laughs> Texas. Um, uh, <laughs> no, I've got a lot of thoughts on this one. I, I really struggled with like coming up with a good one, and I'm going to choose one that I think is really off center. Uh, only because, like, I, I think I just wanted to switch it up a little bit. Uh, but I've got McVries. Oh my gosh, that's I did too. Yeah, from Long Walk. I smell I, a fucking conspiracy going on over here. There's too many similarities <laughs> between the Colbs. I just, yeah. I, I just like really, really love that character. I think he's really complex. He's yep. really odd, and he is a hero in the book. He really is the one who kind of mm-hmm. keeps McVries going. And the the friendship that blossoms between them to me is really, really beautiful. Yeah. And like you know, and the thing is, there's a million characters I could say. I could talk about Glenn Bateman. You know, I could talk about uh, Scatman Crothers. <laughs> I could, I, God damn it! I, had, I, had, I, had, I literally wrote Peter McVries or Dick Halloran. Yeah. Like, yeah. I could talk about a lot of these characters. Yeah, two against one, nice. Yeah, right. yeah. Hey, as uh, the like, Spice Girls said. But you know, I guess like maybe it was because I read Long Walk recently. But just I think was, I think a lot about McVries. I think he's a really complex character and um, just one that really resonates with me. And I do find him very heroic. So. I have to go with Mark Petrie. I think that he is the quintessential sidekick, Mm -hmm. and I I love him. I think he captures that boy and and his age and just everything down to a T. You know, it's like it's like it's like reading the Sandlot. No, uh, (laughs) no, but I I seriously, I love that character, um, and uh, that's it for me. Uh, You know, it's interesting when you said sidekick and made me think: How cool would it have been? In the Dark Tower, if instead of getting Jake Chambers, it was a throwaway, oh, or whatever, yeah. um, you could have gotten Peter McFreeze. And then later on, he connects with Father, Father Callahan and the Wolves of the Calla. Like, how cool would that have Wait, been? Wait, Peter McFreeze? You mean Mark Petrie? Uh, no, no, or, uh, Mark Petrie. Oh, oh okay. Not, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just totally I was like, that, that would have been cool, too. No, but no, no. But <laughs> we all know he gets got. Yeah, right? No, but if, uh, <laughs> if like, you know, um, Mark Petrie, like, like, was with Roland, he gets taken out with, with that. Um, and then he's with Roland, and then they arrive... In Wolves of the Cala, and he yeah. finally sees Callahan again. Like, and you could have had that sort of connection. A well, little especially bit. that would have been the, cool. Yeah. I think it would have. I think it would have leaned more towards like a, a, a weird Salem's Lot sequel at yeah. that point. But I, I still think that would have been really cool. But they were very similar. Yeah. Well, and, and also too, I mean, Petrie and Callahan. I mean, they have that huge connection because. Mark is the last person Callahan sees, and mm-hmm. what Callahan does is ultimately so Mark can can survive. Yeah. Even though even though Callahan doesn't have this inner strength necessarily, but he, to go all the way through with it, I mean he he does that to save the boys. Oh so man, I cool. totally yeah. forgot he was the last person. Yeah. Now it makes even yeah. more sense. Or no, you know, that. I guess Callahan see. I guess Callahan sees um, the woman who runs the drugstore. Yeah, yeah, but but he but the, he's the last the significant kind of thing. Yeah, you know? and um, and they do have a really emotional connection because he basically lets his do, do, you, do you guys think that uh, because you have issues with Ben Mears because to me it makes sense why Mark and Ben are drawn to each other because they're both very similar in that they can process things not want to say easily but they can process thing uh, traumatic events and still keep their heads about them um, and they're uh, and it sounds like people like Mark Petrie, but not Ben Mears as much. Is Mears for you? Is it just? Is it kind of the, uh, for lack of a better word, the hunkiness, the status that that is like <laughs> is the bigger issue? It's like oh, he just gets every. Whereas Mark is kind of this. 
he gets picked on a little bit and he he's a li- there's a little bit more conflict ben just kind of feels like yeah. a, like a, a boilerplate protagonist yes yeah. yeah whereas like mark's got a lot more yeah. uh depth and character yeah hey fair enough and uh i mean i, I would expect you guys have the same opinion apparently <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, just, what, just, what about you dan Larry Underwood, man, gotta yeah. go, with Larry Underwood. Uh, Larry, I, I, I've, I've talked him up so much, and I, I just, I ever since I was a kid, I just maybe I just want to be a rock star like him. I just, <laughs> no, I love Larry. I think his journey is by far the most interesting for me in the stand. Um, I, I, I love his struggle to be a good person the entire time. Um, I, and uh, what can I say? He's a man that I dig. So Larry Underwood. <laughs> so I think that uh, our well, you know, would you because I picked McCree's, McCree's also, yeah, and and I, and I do again as I was with uh, Lloyd. There's some sort of bias there because I also feel he, rem- he reminds me of Chris Chambers mm-hmm. from uh, yeah. oh, one, yeah. one of my favorite King characters. And um, I can't wait till we get. I to cannot that wait book, till yeah. we get to the body. But uh, with with McFreeze, he was really the the moral compass for me in that book. And just watching him lift up Garrity the entire time was almost like him lifting like me up while reading because I was just like, <laughs> I, kept, like I kept, I was like, I was like, all right, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go. And then like McFreeze would be talking to me like, all right, man, you, you got me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, thanks Pete. Uh, yeah. Best villain is our next one. And I'm going to go because this one's got some uh, modern day resonance yeah. and it's a, and also he kicks a dog to death in the <laughs> beginning of the book. And I do not abide by animal violence. And that is a uh, Greg Stilson from yeah. the dead zone. I have to go with Margaret white. It's a great choice. I, think I was that thinking about that. She too. is terrifying in the book. She's terrifying in the film. I, Nothing's scarier than a, a mean mom. No. Wait a second. <laughs> and they go. It's Stilson and Marco White spiritually are very connected. They are. Well, yeah. And, yeah, and like just just how off kilter they are, and and but just her her dedication and she's just so wrong. Yeah, but thinks she's so right, and it, it's scary how much one can convince themselves of of you know anything. And yeah. I think that her her dedication to faith and it's just. It's just so obtuse and, and, and frightening. And, and not that I know anyone that's that crazy religious. Um, I think that religious fanaticism is one of the scariest things out there. I agree. And uh, she's horrifying to me. I think she's perfect. I'm, w- I'm with Randall and Stilson. Uh, and maybe that wouldn't be the case if I hadn't reread The Dead Zone in the time period where I did. But even then, I, th- I think just this... You have to think, too, Still, King does this great trick with Stilson where he establishes the evil inside and right off the bat like you said get, start introducing this guy by kicking a dog to death it like pretty much tells you who he's going to be mm-hmm. so the the reader knows that but then king does this great thing where he has stilson go through all these phases of salesman and uh the rainmaker and politician and then cleaning up his act at least to the outside world a little bit and i think that is just so that's such a good storytelling move. And then I'll, I mean, we don't need to go into it, but obviously the Trump connections, I mean, I yeah. it just, it just is hitting home in a really scary way for me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, I mean, we, we jokingly were posting the, uh, on, on the fourth, I don't who, know who did it, but, uh, one of you guys posted the Trump. Yeah. Stilson compares him, even visually, it's kind of similar, like with the hair and the hard hat and everything. It just, it's kind of scary, uh, what's going on. And so, um, yeah, I love Stilson. And once again, it goes back to the thing. I don't think there's any good in Stilson, but those people do exist. And he's obviously a lot different than Chris Harginson, but I think that it just shows, it's a testament to King's ability to show different shades of evil. So, yeah. yeah, I'm Stilson. Uh, for me, it's, uh, when it comes to villains, I like I like mine uh, with a little rock and roll. So I'm going with Randall Flagg. Ooh. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, yeah. th- th- there's, it's kind of 
you know, it's, it's a little uh, easy now because considering we're going to see Flag and a lot of other things yeah. and incarnations uh, down the road. But he's but the big bad. You know? He's a big bad. And God damn it, I love every time he appeared on the page in the stand. And he's uh, similar to McFreeze. He got me through that book uh, big time because <laughs> I was like, oh, Flag, come back, Flag. And he's like, um, oh, hello, Michael. I have a button for you. Yeah, it's I, literature. <laughs> you uh, care to go with me? Oh, uh, one more yeah. thing. You just have oh. to have this uh, black stone. And, and, and I just <laughs> and I love Jamie Sheridan. You know, he's he's a he's a Hollywood hunk. And um, <laughs> No, it's funny, man. He, I've been, I was reading online. He gets like a lot of shit for that role. Like, I don't, know why. I don't get. And people just the hair. They make fun yeah. of the Billy Ray Cyrus hair, but Who he cares? is he is fantastic as Randall Flag. Really, he is a great because flag. people keep forgetting he's not supposed to be intimidating. Right when you meet no, him, yeah. I feel like that. Just I, I like I the guy. Yeah, I I love Jamie Sheridan. Well, oh, and that's flag. the best part about a villain is when you can actually like him, and, and then you all of a sudden you go, oh shit, he actually is a he's like the horrifying asshole. car salesman that you like you, you make yeah. the deal with. Yeah, yeah, I think he's a perfect flag. Yeah. Uh, this but. is one election, election that Greg Stilson just won. Yeah, <laughs> Johnny, oh, Smith, Johnny Smith was not able to stop him. We'll this be time. excited to see uh, you listeners who you thought to be the baddest <laughs> of all the boys or um, girls or girls. Uh, best lead. Um, you know, this is more so the person that we follow throughout the book. Uh, and I, I was struggling a little bit. I was thinking of Jack Torrance a That's, lot. Uh, was my choice, but I think that I'd ultimately go with Johnny Smith. Um, oh, good one. Yeah, like I think that. In terms of being just like a really interesting everyman relatable lead um, who, you know, is kind of this uh, ordinary man gifted with extraordinary powers. Like, I think he's a really great um, character to get in the mind of. And he's very interesting and likable and complex. Uh, whereas Jack, I, I mean, Jack's a fascinating character, too. But um, there's almost a bit, you know, it's like hard for me to say he's the best lead um, when at the same time, there's something very alienating about Jack, you know, and that's on purpose. And that's a good thing. But I think just in terms of the character, the lead character that I enjoyed spending the most time with was Johnny Smith. I agree. Johnny Smith for me, uh, just not, not only the everyman, you know, quality about him, but it goes to show, I think it's like King's best character uh, to date. Like, Mm -hmm. uh, the, the fleshed out of the fleshed outness of him and Sarah and just everybody, (laughs) everybody in that book. No, I seriously though, I I think that Johnny Smith is just like, I was right there with him the, the whole way. Uh, I I just I understood every single you know uh, decision that he would make. Uh, I uh, yeah I mean Torrance was up there too because I feel like that's one of the only like solid characters that really is I guess the lead all the way through. I, I you know I could th- you could think of the stand, but there's so many like main characters yeah. in that you can't really also, go. You know I like Stu, but he's 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 not my he's not my guy. There's like <laughs> sections of the book I could say Stu, but like yeah I, I yeah but for me it was it's Johnny Smith all the way. Nice. I am Jack Torrance. I mean, I'm not Jack Torrance, but I, <laughs> I am Jack Torrance. I, I am no. Jack's broken heart. I um, I as far as being a um, a good hero, Johnny Smith all the way, of course. Yeah, totally. And as far as being the person you like, he's the most likable out of all the king, the early king protagonists. I, I had to say Jack, though. I mean, he's not definitely not a hero exactly, but uh, at all, at all. <laughs> but he, you know, I I, can't, I was trying to think of another instance where King makes the protagonist that conflicted and he's also he's the main hero but he's the main villain all you know he he ultimately does the right thing but he's still a villain throughout that book and i've said this before i think and i, I reread the shining after the episode because i didn't reread it for the episode and um all of us being creative creative type people i i think king yeah can, i'm not i'm not an addict or anything but and i obviously king captures that well but i think he also captures the 
selfishness of creative people mm-hmm. really well. And that was something mm-hmm. that I related to, like when, like, you know, trying to find time to write and just not wanting to be bothered by anyone. And, and um, it was sort of scary to me how he showed Jack getting frustrated with his family and his situation and doing this kind of woe is me thing. And that was actually what I was really drawn to this second time around. I mean, the, the, the being murderous and lecherous and drunk and all that. Yes, of course. But I think King captured the, uh, I sound like such a, like grad school idiot. Like, uh, that like, Oh, I think he captured the writer really well, but do you know, you yeah. know what I mean? Like no, he did though. I, he did like, and, and there are stereotypes there, there things are stereotypes for a reason. Sometimes and I think writers do have that element of their personality that has to be inquisitive, but also very selfish. And I think he nailed that. And, and, just because he's the other than Charlie Decker, I guess he's the only character early on who is a villain as well, and that, he stands out for me. So Jack Torrance all the way. I'm uh, I'm on that uh, Jack train also. Yeah. Uh, I I love Jack Torrance. I think he's a <laughs> very complicated, nuanced character that you don't you know that the absolutely summarizes and embellishes that that gray area that you're supposed to really love in characters. And uh, for me, what. I, I agree. He also, ca- he, King definitely captures the the plight of a writer, but the, he also captures the ego of uh, of of a writer, and also the fractured like masculinity that comes with like being a father mm-hmm. and having this sort of like that 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 fear of like no one agreeing or no one believing in you, um, and and then also like the whole conflicting attic situation where you could never come back from it because everyone knows, there's always a distrust that's associated to it, and what that does to the psyche. Is so well articulated in this book, um, and this was like his third outing. Yeah. Really, is is it, you know as a main writer and as under the King moniker, and I it just it's it's astounding. I mean, it's really astounding. And, and and like it's, it's such it's, a good character study because uh, the Shining is not my favorite book of the early books, but definitely he's definitely my favorite. Like definitely, like you said, the most complex character. You just never so know what's going to happen. I mean, yeah. like, and I guess that I could see why he, because of that he would be really angry with how Kubrick. Uh, paints that because it's a little more black and white in that. But and, and it is you know. re- having rewatched it just recently, and I love the shine in the movie. But it is kind of absurd how sinister Jack is from yeah. the get go. Yeah, that, you know. And, and once again, that's the point. But, but even it, yeah. but, but the, the, the my argument for that would be that yes, he's 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 sinister. But then why wouldn't he have done this already? And why wouldn't he had like why wouldn't he had gone overboard before? Like there's still something. Like I, I feel like. For me, he's still complicated enough in the Kubrick one, but like being able to get in his inner thoughts uh, is just is so such a joy. I mean, it's such a weird thing to say, but it is like he seeing his point of view in The Shining is just is awesome. I think it's so much more compelling than going through Danny's point of view. But what about um, Ben Mears' point of view? Oh, Ben (laughs) Mears' point of view. Well, this all brings us to our next category: uh, best adaptation Mm. uh i mean for me i think this is maybe a controversial answer but you know my favorite movie adaptation that was made out of all of these is definitely the stand uh stanley kubrick's yeah because the shining oh the shining i'm dumb (laughs) uh the (laughs) steven stanley kubrick's the stand yeah um and nick garris (laughs) is the shining um no um uh no um stanley kubrick's the shining to me is a is you know i it's not a faithful adaptation at all but in a weird way i feel like it captures 
um, the the horror and the psychosis totally. um, of that situation much better than it does. You know, obviously, I think that's what like that's what the Kubrick was really trying to do with that, rather than tell sort of a you know classic um, you know abusive father story. He was trying to more so capture the atmosphere and the instability of the entire situation, and I think that's what he does really well. So um, you know, I think that's my controversial answer, Matt. God, you know, it was The Shining for me. For a long time, uh, ugh, it's hard. It's a tie, but uh, finally seeing Carrie on the big screen yeah. last year. Yeah, uh, God, I love that movie, mm-hmm. and it, I feel like it. In terms of ad- an adaptation of the book, I think it really captures the book. Yeah, like all the way through. Even there's like a you know few minor changes here and there. I still feel like man, they they really hit that on the on the mm-hmm. nose with that one on the on the the Pennywise uh, red clown nose. I'm with you. Uh, Carrie, I mean, I, I probably have seen The Shining more, and I like The Shining as a horror movie more than mm-hmm. Carrie, but if we're talking adaptation, I mean, Carrie has its cake and eats it too, right? Like, yeah. it's a faithful adaptation, but it still has atmosphere to go around, you know? It yeah. is still, uh, it, it is a representation of its time. I love how how much in the 70s it feels. Like, mm-hmm. it feels mm-hmm. like going to high school in the 70s. And, and you know, and they, I, I know we joke at this word and, you, and people overusing it, but both films are made by auteurs, right? I mean, they have such style. Uh-huh. I know we, we joke about that, but they have such stylistic distinctions that can only come from, like, De Palma, you got the uh, split the screen. The Hitchcockian. Oh, yeah, that score does kind of suck. But, uh, I'm, yeah, I, I mean, if we're talking pure adaptation, I, I, I got to go with Carrie over The Shining. But The Shining is great. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's actually the, these... All these early books, the adaptations, I think are pretty I, they are. solid. Yeah. So yeah. What about you, Mike? Uh, for me, it's uh, it's carried just only uh, because it, it is so much more like the book. Yeah. And if you are talking about adaptation, it is. However, to, to Randall's point, I mean, that's something we discussed at length on the Shining podcast. Was it is? I do think that Kubrick gets slammed for not uh, you know adapting the book, but he does. He he captures the spirit and zeitgeist of that novel without being like you know slobbing to like the the details like that would have made it so yeah. like boring and, 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 and tedious and modeling. Like, I mean, like you look at like McGarris's uh, adaptation by comparison and it's so like, there's no mystery to it. You know, everything is laid out with like, you know, that you connect all the dots. And for me, what's so great about Kubrick's version is that it there, it's so complex and it's so psychological and, and that's what the book is, you know, when you really get down to the themes and to the conflicts. Um, having said that, you know, conceptually, yes, I, I, I would probably choose The Shining and, and I think The Shining is a better film than Carrie. But um, in terms of like actually getting that the the book like mm-hmm. directly and also spiritually i mean it's carrie i mean there's no way i mean I, my, my my one thing is is my minor quibble with carrie is that i hate de palma's like style sometimes like I, I really hate like how he's so like in in, he, in love with hitchcock that he has to name like the school bates high school or oh like, is it really yeah, yeah. Oh, and like it's like and like little touches like that just seems so lame but at the same time they're like you said with the 70s that movie had to been made in the 70s yeah it's the same thing with like salem's lot like some of these stories like had to be made in their certain times and it's just why none of the remakes of carrie have ever worked with the you know taking taking into account also like the directors and filmmakers that are behind it are not that great but <laughs> um but uh yeah the, the the original one's great so cool for me uh and now our last two 
the big boys. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about the best short story from Night Shift. Uh, we all had decided on one in particular that we all really loved. Um, but is that holding true for you guys? Uh, well, Mac, why don't you start? You know, I don't know what we ended up picking for, for the last, best. Last uh, rung on the ladder. No, it was uh, One for the Road. Was one the, oh, no, One for the Road. That was it, yeah, yeah. But is that, um, does that remain the, per, the favorite? Uh, personally, Last Rung on the Ladder mm-hmm. for me. I love one, one for the Road, but uh, Last Rung on the Ladder is the one that ha- still haunts me. And it's funny because it's not really a ghost story or anything nope. like that. It's just it's just a, a really sad story. And um, I think it's just gorgeously written. And that continues to stick with me. I'm going to go with Last Rung. Cool. I'm, I'm with you. Same thing. Um, one, one for the Road is like number two for me. I love that story yeah. too. But, you know, hey, Last Rung on the Ladder made me uh, be a big crybaby on the air. So I had to... Aww. No, seriously. I mean, it really did emotionally hit me in a way that um, not just any, any King story has, but any short story period. Um, and to I, I think that is such a glimpse into the talent that would come when he with uh, more realistic novels and novellas that he did down the line, mm-hmm. just in a more distilled form. So... Yeah, less wrong the latter. It was such a, and it was so cool rereading that as an adult and having it affect you in this book full of like lawnmower men and uh, gray putty <laughs> monsters. Like to have that sneak up Green on cubes. you, it was just great. So yeah, mm-hmm. less wrong the latter for me. Last wrong for me also. Oh. I'm gonna go with one for the road. And- yeah. I'm not a little baby like all of you. <laughs> Another category is going to be the biggest crybaby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, look, babies, I'm here for the horror. All right. No, I love Last Rung. It's an amazing story, but um, I don't know. It's great. One for the road terrifies yeah. me really deep down uh, to my bones, and um, and it's 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 just to me a really superbly written short story. It's a great expansion of the world of Salem's Lot, um, and it just really yeah, it great characters. It yeah. tells such a nice story in such a short period, and um, just some really really potent moments of horror in that so and it has kind of a not happy ending but it's one of the few stories in night shift where the heroes get to survive which yeah. is nice while the tookie dies of old age later the ones that matter yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. well uh and then now the the granddaddy of them all uh what out of the 70s input from stephen king what was his best novel um i'm gonna start and i'm going to say the stand Oh, not doesn't not, even need to back it up. Need to back it up. <laughs> I was just giving it a moment just to say that thinking. I was really turning this over in my mind, but I still think that um, I love all these books. I think they're all great, but uh, I think for me personally, the stand's weak points don't detract from its bigger points, which to me are it's epic, it's ambitious, it's got yeah. an amazing ensemble, it tells such a huge story. Also, the book was just so important to me as a child. It's the book that got me into Stephen King. It's the book that got me into reading kind of adult horror fiction. I mean, I was reading Michael Crichton before that but this is kind of what really what really you know like um do you like timeline or the 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 andromeda strain uh i just absolutely i just absolutely i love i know you do that's why Uh, i I just absolutely adore uh the stand is on total although this last read was the toughest one it was my fourth or fifth time reading it and it was the toughest one because i think you know you just get older and you realize some of the the faults of the book and book two is a little hard to get through but you know overall uh it's a book that i think will be important 
important to me. And, you know, it was in my wedding, like it was in Jen's wedding vows that she would finish, that she would actually read the book. And, um, <laughs> and so, you know, I don't know, I think I have a strong personal connection to it, but also it's a, it's the kind of book that you don't see very often a book of that, um, ambition and, uh, thoroughness and comprehensiveness that really, I'd say for the most part really works. Uh, Randall, as you know, my, uh, my worst novel was The Stand, so I can't pick that for the best. Uh, <laughs> no, you my can't. favorite is absolutely The Dead Zone. I just feel like it's when King really comes into his own. There's not a bit of that book I don't think deserves to be in there, and I think it's it's just, I keep saying, gorgeously written. And, um, man, I just really connected with that. And, uh, you know, I also connect to that from, like, my childhood because having been in a coma for five years and then <laughs> having telekinetic abilities after the fact. No, no, no. I, I, I really love this book, and it really hit me in a way I don't think would have hit me had I read it as a kid. I mean, I saw the movie when I was much younger, and I, I still love the movie, but I just really connected with that that um, story this time around um, reading it. And I don't know, a big part of that probably has to do with, you know, um, just the entire Stilson thing and just the, the mm-hmm. climate of the of the culture in that book. Uh, what, do you, what about you guys? Yeah, I'm in the dead zone as well. I was Salem's lot up until the dead zone episode and, and halfway through I just kind of realized, oh man, this is really is like a perfect book. Um, Salem's lot, I think is still the scariest to me. I like, I like the themes of it the best out of all of them. I'm, I think I do too, actually. Yeah. Like I, that, I think this, that and the stand have the best cast of characters, but like you said, the dead zone is just lean and mean. I mean, I don't, I don't know what you would cut from that book. I, no. I guess you could, well, no, you really can't because we talked about how each of these three or four big events in his life kind of lead to everything else. And it's just such a good example of King, the storyteller. It also, I mean, I think I I know it's so silly, but I think there's something to be said for us not having a lot of pound cake to talk about. You know, it's just, I think he, he gets over his own hurdles as a writer in that book really well. And, um, every last person is memorable. I love Johnny as a hero. Um, I love that the ending is bittersweet. It's not happy necessarily, but he does prevent or he saves humanity while um but he doesn't get the girl or anything. So yeah, I it feels very real to life despite being about <laughs> mental powers and dead zone. Dead zone all the way. Dead zone for me also. Uh I think it's uh like Mac was saying, I think it's a very adult novel. I think there's there's cuz I actually read it as a kid and um or well, I was like 15 or whatever, but I guess it's a kid. And um and, and I I was very I was into the book and I loved it and you know, I was I was interested uh, with everything that was going on. But man, it really does take on a different turn when you realize, like, uh, when you can really kind of relate to a lot of the adult themes that are going on there, especially with his relationship. And I think, um, <laughs> to, to paraphrase uh, Bruno Kirby from uh, uh, from This Is Spinal Tap, when you li- when you lived and loved like uh, J- like Frank, um, no, uh, I I think like, like when you wait, lived, wait, what's like, the line? Frank Dodd. No, no, what's the line he says about? It, it's like Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. He has that stupid joke. Oh, and, I can't. And, and, and they just like they just, just put up the window. Yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> and he's like, well, they come from a different era. Um, but no, but I think when when you can actually when you've had these more adult, real like relationships and not like, you know, a fling in high school or something like that. It's, it's such a more, um, impactful bruising sort of experience as a, as a reader. And for me, it's it, front to back. It, it's, it's, it's King being serious without taking any sort of risks that really kind of like hamstring a lot of the plot or the characters. And, and for me, it's just, 
it's so fully realized too. I mean, it's like the first time we see Castle Rock, which obviously he was starting to paint, like paint in like broader strokes. Um, and he was just going to, you know, make it a little more specific in the ensuing novels. But, um, but then, you, you know, the characters itself, I mean, the characters are great. I mean, I, it's not obviously like, it's not a great, it's not the strongest ensemble like it, it was with like the stand or whatever, but it's a very strong ensemble. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I think like even the little minor characters like Chatsworth are great. And, and for me, it's just, it, it's so, yeah, it's fully realized. And, and I, and I, and I don't see, I think it's also telling that it was one of his best sellers. And that when you look at the cover of the de- the of Firestarter, it says from the author of the Dead Zone on right. the cover of it. So it really did like impact him his, as a figure. His yeah. as a figure, you know. Well, and and also too, it's for me the first time that he really nails a romantic relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, in a way that doesn't feel like it's trying too hard. You know, it doesn't go overboard with the sex like it does in no. Franny and Stu. It's gorgeous. It, he writes yeah, his best sex scene. It, it, no, it's great. And I mean, it really does. He really does. Ca- he captures a normal relationship between two people who love each other, which he would do really well later on, too, especially in things like uh, Lissy's story. Um, even Bag of Bones, the way the way uh, Peter Newman uh, Noonan uh, remembers his wife, and I, I think that was the beginning. I think that all began with the Dead Zone. He figured out how to write about normal people. Really well, well, well yeah. think about think about how how we, this is broken down. I mean, so far we've pretty much almost named the best lead is Johnny. Um, we pretty much the best villain was still still sin. We we really love the ending for the or I did love the ending of the the dead zone. Uh, we the you know there's a lot of there's every element really works in this book. Yeah, and those there's are kind of the argue about. Of a, you know, I, I couldn't even think of really any negatives that I that I saw when we were you know reviewing it like a couple of days you know a couple of days a couple of weeks ago. So I, that's for me, and I don't know. It's gonna be really hard. I mean, there there are some novels that are coming up that really do challenge that. I think like in terms of horror, I think yeah. horror his best horror stories are coming up. Um, yeah, I mean, Pet, Pet Cemetery. Uh, yeah, it. I mean, yeah. those, those are viscerally terrifying yeah. books. But I in mean, terms of just like just a great book that ha- doesn't have to rely on horror or anything, I really don't know if he tops this coming up in the next few mm-hmm. decades. And I've read well, a, I've read a, a few other ones, so I, I'm just putting that out there. We'll have to find out, and we, and we want to know if you uh, listeners agree. Uh, so we're, when we post these, definitely uh, give us your opinions. We want to know. Um, we're going to throw some of those tiebreakers out there for you to break, um, and we'll probably discuss a, a bit of that in our next episode, as we said. Yep. Can they play? Uh, uh, and when you when you break the ties, play "Break Stuff" by Limp Bizkit. As oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know if that'll happen, but. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Randall, ha- Randall actually left when we all said the dead zone. Um, he was really furious, uh, that the yeah. stand wasn't one. <laughs> no, yeah, he had to leave us. Um, but we want to thank you guys for listening again. This is the losers club podcast. And, um, until next time, long, long days, days and, and pleasant, pleasant nights. nights. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. Consequence Podcast Network.